I'm Fathery. This is Dave. This is Brian. And this is Text Trek. Engage. aboard the Starship Texas for the 181st installment of the Text Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we take a deep look at Star Trek old and new, and proud members of the Treksphere network. Tonight, we are discussing both an episode of Star Trek Discovery and an episode of Star Trek Picard. For Discovery, we have Season 4, Episode 12, Species 10C, written by Kyle Jaro and directed by Alantunde Osunsanmi. And for Picard, we have Season 2, Episode 2, Penance. Written by Akiva Goldsman, Terry Metalis, and Christopher Monfetti. I think Michael Chabon had a story by credit in there somewhere. And then directed by Douglas Arianokoski. And we're going to do Disco first. Just let me ask y'all out of curiosity, which one of these shows do you watch first? Um, Picard. <laughs> I actually meant to do Picard and then Discovery, but the person that we were, I was watching this with some friends in Alaska, and they had already queued up Discover, or Picard, so I was like, okay, sure, we'll do Picard. <laughs> I'm always anticipating Picard more, but I do Discovery first because I yeah. I think instant gratification is overrated. Uh, I am definitely wanting to going to do Discovery second next week. Because... Yeah, I think I um I was I was pretty hyped for Picard after the first episode, so I thought I'd uh, kind of keep with that uh, enthusiasm and uh, see what was uh, see what was up see what was up. I needed to see how it started. Yeah, that's interesting. See, but see, like for me, like the one that I want the most is the one that I'll, like I'll put off. Like that's my reward for. Yeah. For, for trudging through Discovery. <laughs> well, it, it would have been last no. week, but yeah, we should uh, we should talk about this stuff. In just a minute, we'll share uh, kind of our opinions on these episodes. Just want to remind everyone that next week is also going to be a doubleheader because we have the finale of Discovery as well as the third episode of Picard Season 2. So uh, be on the lookout for that. And then after that, we'll just be Picard, uh, we'll, which, which will be good. We'll be able to talk about Picard with a, a little bit more nuance and scratch beneath the surface a little bit more uh, than what we're, we're doing now when we have to cover both episodes every week it's time for a deep dive on the credit sequence <laughs> and if you are subscribed to the text Trek youtube channel and a lot of you podcast listeners you should go ahead and subscribe to the youtube channel because there's some extra content over there i just did a live stream with starfleet boy discussing the star trek cruise i was on last week and we also did a reaction and breakdown of the first strange new worlds teaser trailer so go check that out on youtube uh, but in the meantime let's talk about disco and I'm just going to recap this episode real quickly by reading the official synopsis, and then I'll kind of expand on that with spoilers. But the official synopsis reads, As the DMA approaches Earth and Navarre, Captain Burnham and the crew of the USS Discovery attempt to make first contact with the powerful species responsible before it's too late. And yeah, essentially they, they do make contact with the, the 10C. They actually begin some back and forth, very, very basic steps to building a, a means of communication. And then the the, the last second... Tarka seems to go rogue, and he's off to go 
blow up their or unplug i think it says pull out their their power source um so whatever that means i'm sure we'll see next week let's each just give kind of our opening statements on the episode to express our broad impressions of it before we go into more detail since i was gone last week i'd kind of like to go first and just uh kind of convey like some of the thoughts i had on on last week's episode of discovery which i teased a moment ago I was pretty bored with, with the main plot last week. I started to lose interest in, in the Tin Sea. Um, you know, I, I don't care what they look like. I don't care how we're going to communicate with them. I just I felt like they'd kind of been drawing that out too long. And the idea of communicating with a species that's so incredibly different, uh, th- that's good for something like, you know, one story, one episode, like Darmok. Uh, but I didn't think it was interesting enough to stretch out for an entire season with big galaxy-ending stakes. And it almost seemed like kind of small, like, you know, Starfleet's, dealt with some weird aliens before people they've had a hard time communicating with and stuff so just it just felt like a little small and weird and you know maybe like good hard sci-fi but not what i i really wanted from star trek i went into this episode with without a ton of of excitement and i was pleasantly surprised by how much i actually enjoyed this one the execution of the 10c concept was uh so much better than than i thought or that i hoped and I think the disco might be at its best when it leans into the action science type stuff, especially here where, you know, they're running around doing sciencey things and teamworking and stuff, but there's nothing that sticks out as feeling wrong, like a time crystal powered red angel suit or, you know, anything too, too wacky like that. Uh, I do largely feel this season could have been condensed, uh, especially these last six episodes. I think, you know, everything after that hiatus point when they did the mid-season break, they probably could have shrunk that down from six to three. Uh, but I'm eager to see what happens next week. And if Discovery does kind of continue its tradition from seasons two and three of kind of, you know, for me anyways, falling on its face in the finale. You know what? No worries. I'm fucking loving Picard and I'm so stoked for Strange New World. So uh, I I don't feel like I have much to lose here. And I'm yeah, I had a good time with this episode and looking forward to seeing what happens next. Uh, Dave, what about you? Uh, so, yeah, Darmok came to mind for me as well while I was watching it. Uh, I feel like it's kind of the most TNG episode Discovery's had or had in a while, maybe uh, kind of committing to that sort of extended scientific theorizing about communication in a way that Jordy and Data and those guys would have uh, back in the day. Uh, and I really liked all that stuff. Um, I, uh, I I sort of felt like, in some ways, for anybody who's a longtime follower of Trek, this is somewhat old hat conceptually. Like, I knew, I knew from when I was a kid, I watched Carl Sagan's Cosmos, and I knew about the idea of using mathematics to communicate with aliens, that it was a sort of universal language. And it's come up on Trek lots and lots, I'd say. Um, so every once in a while, when, when they would sort of say, like, what if this, you know, this, you know, equation or whatever, or this... Uh, molecule could express more than one idea. I'm like, yeah, we've been there. We've we've done that. <laughs> um, but I thought that it it worked very strongly as a for for Star Trek purposes. That um, like Darmok, it kind of conveyed the idea of communication to a layman. I don't know math stuff. I'm it's not my territory. And so I you know I, I need you know I needed the sort of approach that they did, and they, I thought they did it in a pretty cool and exciting way. Uh, there was smaller stuff I liked, like you know, book talking about his name as a lineage, kind of that Dread Pirate Roberts yeah. uh, style. Yeah, they teased in... that before in season three. I, yeah. He's like, one day I'll tell you remember. the story of my name. And I'm like, when are we going to hear I knew that? It was something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought that was a pretty neat idea too. There were parts I wasn't as big on. Uh, the uh, Tarka's heel turn, I feel like, has been telegraphed for a season. <laughs> uh, the scream therapy, um, even some of the stuff with General Nadoye uh, kind of vacillating between one side or the other, I felt like it, it wasn't as interesting as I kind of wanted it to be. Um, but, um, I, you know, and I, I thought I wanted to see the 10C more clearly. Uh, but beyond that, uh, it was actually an episode that, that surprised me as well, and I, I liked it more than I expected to. 
So uh, this this one ends up being a bigger win for me than I than I thought it was. <laughs> I guess going in with low expectations is the secret. Uh, but, uh, Brian, uh, what about you? Tell us your general reaction to Species Tennessee. I thought it was the best, better of the two shows this week. Uh, this one actually what? boldly seeks out new life and civilizations. Good Star Trek should be about ideas, not techno babble and the uncertainty and 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 figuring things out is much more interesting than the good guys versus bad guys thing that we get in the Picard episode so as far as doing star trek i thought this did a way better job of 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 doing the star trek thing i liked that there was so much real science uh, in places where i was expecting quantum quantum bullshit that they usually put in star trek throughout not just now but throughout most of the history of the show uh and that they had real first contact strategies and ideas being deployed uh instead of oh if i could just remodulate the universal translator you you said that star trek has done this all a lot dave yep besides darmok when i mean there's like a couple of minutes of figuring out that the whales uh, that the the probe noise is whale noise. So I, I thought of that. Or things like the ugly bags of mostly water episode. It's like like yeah, or they or Tin Man. Tin Man's it. even like a weird uh, a, a weird entity to communicate with. Or maybe yeah, they the plug dark. the telepath in. They, yeah. they just oh here we'll put a tel- we'll have somebody mind meld with it. Which which I do wonder how why they if we're gonna it's, get it's to... normally not treated this this ceremoniously and huge and and. Right. Perhaps even epic. People overuse the term. I would epic, also say but... "Devil in the Dark" and stuff like yeah. that. But I, and maybe I would. Maybe Again, I'm thinking uh, uh, with it. <laughs> beyond uh, beyond Star Trek, sci-fi has and, and, and broadly has dealt with this uh, many times. Uh, like then I even mean pop sci-fi, like TV and comics and stuff like that. Not not hard sci-fi necessarily. Uh, and you know, just anytime they bring up the you know whether or not the universal translator can translate something, they usually get a little bit into oh the the ideas are more alien than you know than it can figure out. You know, that's it's it's something that that comes up a fair amount. And, and sometimes I thought that y'all don't have some linguistics people and first contact people who have talked about this for decades or I mean, centuries. I, I would think when you need when you have 12 hours to figure it out, if you think just bringing in some of your smartest people to see if there's some outside the box thinking I, that only thing I, I don't thought know. Those was guys weird. Are, that's like, a, isn't that guy like a navigator or something like Let's that? Let's organically give some of our secondary characters something to do because people yeah. on the internet won't stop complaining about them not getting enough screen time. I, and, and I kind of <laughs> thought it would, I, the only thing that I thought was odd is they just didn't hollow project them down to the hangar bay to talk about it. Instead, they actually had to leave their post. And I thought, you know, they could probably just project the image down This there meeting could have just been a Zoom call, yo. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think it was very good to get their input, and I liked that idea, but I, it did occur to me that in the crisis situation, maybe they shouldn't be pulling all these people off the bridge. Oh, uh, they've not- already done a fair amount to... <laughs> To, to test the, like, maybe stretch the crisis situation, whether yeah. it's uh, Scream Therapy or uh, yeah. Saru's uh, dating uh, or, so, you know. Yeah. You compare keep comparing it to Darmok, and I, I totally get that there's definitely some similarities there and that that's the, in my opinion, only other Star Trek episode where figuring out what the alien is trying to say is the center centerpiece of the episode. Um, and not just, oh, we have to mind meld with it or we plug data into it or something and, and use some sci-fi stuff to just solve the problem. Is that kind of what the Star Trek, the motion picture, the whole thing is? Uh, yeah. And that's what I was going to say is this is very, it, 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 
it riffs on Star Trek, the motion picture, but is absolutely its own thing. And I didn't even notice how similar it was to the motion picture until the second viewing, when I realized that the replication of the bridge to that in, uh, over ridiculously exacting detail is just like how V'ger replicates Ilea in ridiculously accurate mm. detail, uh, far more than is actually necessary because the aliens uh, don't, quite know what is important and what isn't and i i realize yeah there's a whole lot of kind of vigery stuff going on here but you know we're clearly headed in a different direction as far as what i, I don't think we're going to find a voyager space probe behind all of this or well, anything well speaking on on the motion picture connections let's just build off of that and, and go ahead and dive into the episode and you know talk about the the beginning when they approach the hyperfield the scale of it immediately made me think of vigor when they say it's the size of i guess the orbit of mars they said 1.5 astronomical AUs. units yeah that's yeah. the only other time they measured something in aus but the 10c not responding to any hells or anything so they're like okay we're gonna have to try to get creative and use these emotion hydrocarbons which i think is still kind of some weird sci-fi contrivancy stuff like mind melds or whatever it's just, it's just more exotic perhaps but yeah let's try to spray these on there with our dot robots and then uh that that actually gets them they finally get the 10c's attention and they get pulled in and the ship imprisoned. But yeah, just uh, right off the bat, what did y'all think about that early attempt at communication and the, the, I guess, the scale of the hyperfield? I like that the hyperfield wasn't some glowy blob of special effects. It was instead looked very solid um, and like you could stand on it or bounce a ball off of it just because it was different. So often these things in Star Trek are clouds or mists mm. or glowy, crackly. You know what? That's a good point, things. Ryan. <laughs> but also it's that icy blue that the Discovery uh, show likes so much. <laughs> I mean, the color maybe wasn't the most exciting color but the, 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 the <laughs> idea of it's solid you can you could you know bang hit it with a hammer i i like that idea uh just as a as, as a do something new we've seen so many big glowy things in space it, and it, it, it conveyed that you know they are pretty powerful and advanced the um yeah. i guess it, it kind of seems makes them seem even more in control like yeah this can be like as hard of, yeah. as hard as a rock or as soft as water you know whatever we want we're, we're in total control of all this stuff and i also like that like the the whole episode, really, they're not real showy with what's going on outside of the ship. And at first that seemed kind of weird to me, but then I was thinking like, oh, it actually makes it seem kind of kind of scarier because you're, you're just like hearing what they're reading on their scanners and you're kind of as blind as they are. Uh, so I thought that was kind of neat. Also probably helped keep the budget down a little yeah. bit. And what's basically a bottle, bottle episode. I joked about the uh, them not kind of uh, showing enough of the 10C aliens. And I do sort of feel that like I'm like, OK, you've you've kept us waiting so very long. Uh, <laughs> let's just go ahead and show it. But, I think uh, but they are I think, going to do the big reveal next week. I think that I, think I, so. I don't care anymore. Clouds. I don't care. It's like if they if they well, show but, it cool, if they just keep it as like this mysterious thing, we never. Well, see actually, I think the longer fine. they built it up, the more <laughs> it will disappoint me because yes, it almost has to be just some sort of glowing thing, just a cool special effects thing. That's actually why I always thought they were somewhat ingenious in Contact, uh, the Jodie Foster thing, uh, to to go ahead and make it something that was human and relatable as the aliens. A lot of people you know, were disappointed in that. A lot of people I know. just ripped that ending apart i i get that i mean i i get the notion um but but i also think that you know if it was just something that glowed and was looked like an angler fish or whatever that you know it's just then it becomes kind of prosaic yeah it's hard to do it's like it's almost like the lovecraftian problem of like how do you how do you 
show like an elder god that's supposed to like drive you insane if you if you got a glimpse of it like it's easy to write that if you're hp lovecraft it's hard to put that on right. the screen if you're a filmmaker yeah, what, what does it look like to have angles that are not that are wrong and stuff like that <laughs> yeah. i think that using you can kind of use sort of indie film techniques for some of that stuff you know make it feel difficult for the audience to watch strobing and uh, you know intercut scenes weirdly and i think you could probably do something of that with with aliens too that you can try some innovative film techniques and not just let it be a special effect that hangs there but but um, but you know, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on that. It's um, I, I just uh, I think I'm gonna probably be a little disappointed with whatever they show, but maybe not. We'll see. And I think they did actually use a pretty good balance in the episode. I think it was both amorphous and yet physical enough to have a sense of you are staring into the face of some intelligent entity. You do get a loose idea. They show a holographic image of them uh, on the in, in the shuttle bay, you know, that's been mapped out, and you can see they're they're kind of half shrimp, half. Uh, kind of half. Uh, we saw their dead babies in the last week's episode. <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're, they're sort of half shrimp, half jellyfish-looking things. Mm. Is kind of what they look like in the in the little model holographic image in that that um that the the, the linguist guy. Um, Harai. Harai, that's it. Yeah, sorry. Harai Principal Kwan like from Smallville. Uh, so. I like. Oh man, <laughs> I liked uh, Adira and Stamets. Uh, I guess like running around programming the dots while they're 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 talking to the captain about you know what they're doing i was always talking about like the action science stuff I, I like when discovery i think it's a good vibe for discovery when they're when they're doing that especially when it's like more hard so I like you know they're obviously listening to dr aaron mcdonald who was drinking scotch with a couple of days ago on the star trek cruise uh but it's it's definitely like yeah they're they're leaning into like some of that more real world sciencey stuff in a good way not in a, a weird boring way because sometimes i i think star trek does need like a little like the star trek weird uh weird magic sci-fi uh because you know things like all these humanoid aliens and uh transporters and mind melds like a lot of this stuff probably doesn't make sense in real life but it's part of the star trek history definitely so you have to find a balance it's it's uh, more often than not storytelling is largely a, a balancing act two quibbles one they're like oh we don't want to raise our shields uh we might um might piss we, them we off might, we, we might make them think we're hostile and i'm like this th this is the same team that beamed down to the aliens home planet with all their guns <laughs> well y'all correctly y'all correctly pointed that out last week as being a yeah. weird thing so it was like well done. what the hell what just last week just like yesterday we were pointing our phasers at at empty rooms just in case they turned out to be dangerous this is the the shields down is the correct but what, what was your no, what was your I other agree. quibble um Michael asks the communications officer if they've received a response from their hails. Do, does she seriously think the comm officer is over there sitting on that info and just, well, the captain didn't ask for it, so I guess I'm not going to tell the captain that the aliens have replied. I don't, I don't know. I guess <laughs> I was just like, really? You, you think you, you need to ask for that? This, the cap, the comm officer wouldn't just jump in, sir, they're answering. I mean, I, I think it's, it's kind of more weird, uh, to remark on that here and try to point it out. So uh, let's, without going down that tangent, let's move on to no, the the meat of the episode, which I think is trying to figure out the means of communication with with the Tin C and all of the, I guess, I guess experimentation, a little like scientific method, I guess. But uh, yeah, they are trying to wrap their heads around this language, which it's like a, a light pattern, but then used in junction with the emotion hydrocarbons that these aliens excrete. 
They had to use that word. But there, what would be a better verb to use there? But uh, emit maybe. Secrete, secrete, extrude. But yeah, if, the first time I watched Spray. this, I was thinking like, oh, so like it's the light pattern is like the the code. That's like the the language. It's like Morse code, and then the hydrocarbons. That's like the emoji you put at the end of the sentence. So that's that's mm-hmm. like the emo- right. emotion. That's like your facial expression or your body language. But it's actually a little yeah. bit more complicated than that. It's also like. The, the lights also tell you what order to read the emotions in. So it definitely yeah. did seem like something that would be very, very peculiar, very alien. I feel like, uh, by the way, I'm at 14% sarcastic right now. Just so <laughs> you know. 14% sarcastic. Just, just assume. That's, that's, a, that's a little low for you, isn't it? When it's normally <laughs> like a... I was being sarcastic okay. when I said it. <laughs> I see. Oh. It's actually closer to 53. I mean, no, I, um... I like to exaggerate everything 47 times more, so... <laughs> That said, um, you know, Father, you were talking about the kind of slightly, I don't know, not not quite mumbo jumbo, but like the the magical science of the different, uh, 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 what sixteen different um, emotion, the, or emotional they know compounds. Of. Yeah, there, there's sixteen that they were able and, to to study. And and I, the fact that they got like a breakdown of exact percentages, I think up to a hundred percent, sort of suggests that they did get the lexicon down, or at least the the, the basics of the alien language, mm-hmm. I guess, or it wouldn't have added up to a hundred percent, right? Well, but, they, um, they, could, they were just breaking down the percentages of this chemical versus that chemical in the, in the spray. I guess so. There wasn't, but I guess they didn't say like, and there was like 32% unknown. But anyway, I thought that was, I, I really liked that. I thought that was, uh, like Darmok, you're, you're not necessarily conveying how true linguistics works. I think you can, you can pick at Darmok and say, that's really not quite how metaphors work and are conveyed and things like that. But... As far as communicating to me, the audience, these ideas, and that uh, you can use sort of some simple mathematical kind of concepts and 16 emotions and, and get some depth out of it. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Did you think it was cool when they when they brought everyone down from the bridge for their for their powwow, though? You were kind of a... Uh, no, um, <laughs> because... <laughs> Listen, I think, like, the idea was okay, but I feel like sometimes, honestly, that Discovery is a little too touchy-feely, and that this wasn't one of those cases where they're like, hey, you know, this is, uh, you know, this is a case where we need to show that everyone's input is welcome, and I was just like, not really, not, not, not at this point, (laughs) just experts. You need, you need Um, Captain Picard to be like, shut up, Wesley, he needs to be like, shut up, Lieutenant Christopher, and he's like, like, my professor back at the academy, someone needs to be like, shut up, (laughs) Christopher. exactly. Because, well, if their ideas hadn't been so sort of what I think of as trite, like, hey, sometimes you have to just assume, you, you, you know, change your assumptions. And I'm like, oh, no, this is this is like a like a little slightly precocious junior high student, middle <laughs> school student. And also every one of them had like they each in turn had a suggestion and all their suggestions immediately contributed. No, no flops. It was almost like this was all constructed by some writer who was just like laying this all out. So it would all just <laughs> fall in line perfectly. Yes. A lot of this stuff felt like there was clearly, I mean, the number of hours that were passing versus what we were seeing on screen in 51 minutes made me feel like lots of time that there were, you know, there were clearly, you know, a time passing between this shot and that shot. And this I need shot. a representative. I, I, I like, I get that. And I oftentimes will extend that uh, sort of goodwill and say, okay, they were not showing everything, or this is kind of mm-hmm. symbolic the broader discussion or whatever yeah. i needed one idea to get shot down then <laughs> so i need to be like that's a stinker get back to the bridge well i mean they 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 did talk about the chemicals providing emotional <laughs> context and the light providing the ideas and that turned out to be wrong that's not what's going on the 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 the, the chemicals are the letters and the lights are instructions on how to what order yeah, to read the lights them are pro- seem to be probably something that was just improvised by the aliens as a good way to help talk to the humans because the aliens had seen close encounters of the third kind <laughs> um which <laughs> is <laughs> a, 
Yes, yes. And I love that. And I was like, oh, cool. Star Trek's doing Close Encounters. Yeah. This is great. I've, I've never um, seen Arrival. I haven't seen Contact since probably like 97 or 98. Uh, but I, I did watch Close Encounters a lot as a kid. I, I was thinking of that one a lot. I did think it was slightly odd that given how desperate they are and they how they got log jammed and decided to bring all the bridge crew down to see if they could come get get the flow moving and get the idea chain wheel turning again, that somebody didn't just say, well, let's just bring Stamets down here and have him smell what they're spraying and see what happens. Um, You know, I mean, because we know that the chemicals actually induce emotions. You know, take a whiff, see what happens. It doesn't. (laughs) It seems like, you know, they're not toxic. I was wondering about that last week. There's a good use for those random crew. When, when they said we sent the dots to collect 16 different compounds and, and we were able to figure out what emotions like, yeah, they're whoever their lower decks, whoever like their Mariner and, and Boimler are, we're, we're like down in the car. They're like, here's your orders. Smell all of these and write down what emotion you felt. like. Someone had to have done that. But no, no, I, I, I agree. I just thought given that they were they, they, you were getting new combos of the chemicals, it felt like, you know, if you're as stuck as you appear to be. Try smelling it. Apparently, you're pretty sure it's not toxic. Uh, and Stamets will stick anything in his body. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, the tardy grade DNA, man. <laughs> I guess maybe I'm glad they didn't show that. <laughs> I, I liked that pheromones as a concept are, are a cool idea, but the more you talk about smelling up the aliens and stuff, the, just the weirder it gets. I, I don't uh, know if I wanted that. <laughs> I like Doctor Who. I like my aliens weird. Speaking um, of weird, what do y'all think about uh, Harai? I didn't get the chance to talk to y'all about him much last week, but it's it was weird to me last week when the president was like you're, you're being too mean to everyone you need to be like a little bit more softer in your delivery and i thought i was like is is he really like too blunt like is he more blunt than like reno or stamets or some of these other people but he's all, also he's like he's always like snacking he's always like eating snacks which is another someone weird decided that would be his affectation and they they ran you know actors it. hate that because they have to what's constantly that? eat every oh, every right. take yeah. they hate yeah, when yeah i remember that. i remember what's his name chris evans in um uh, what's the murder mystery that just he was oh, just in? Oh, the uh, house, the daggers, or so, uh, the Ryan Knives Johnson out. movie. Kn- Knives out. Knives out. Yeah. Um, he was snacking on some little, some little crackers, some little. Uh, it was little, like a Belgian English... cookie, a real buttery yeah. cookie. Yeah, and he had to eat like eight hundred of those yeah. things, like in that take. Or um, Marina Sertes said that it was kind of a, a contradiction playing Troy on the Next Generation because they wanted her to stay very small and slender to fit in these these tight outfits, but they also wanted her to eat chocolate all the time. So when they would, whenever they were shooting her eating chocolate in some of those episodes, she would actually like take a bite, and then when the camera wasn't on, she'd spit it out. She didn't want to like actually oh. swallow it and, and gain the calories. That's, that's so horrible. <laughs> that, that poor girl. Uh-huh. But to ask, answer your question about, uh, is it Dr. Harai? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't have strong opinions beyond thinking that he's he's interesting enough. I, I don't know that. I, I think th- this is one of those cases where they've got in the president and they've got him. Uh, I, I can't remember. And they've got Tarka pretty regularly providing input in a separate plot. Um, and, and sometimes I am missing the core crew members. I would rather have this as a discussion between people we know um on there and and i don't necessarily need the new faces unless they're like super duper experts and um and i guess i mean he is and i don't know if the president has a specialty in in first contacts uh she's she's an ambassador though so i guess that makes sense um but but you know somebody in the comments um uh, earlier was just mentioning that they miss tilly i too miss tilly we'll be back next week i miss tilly and stamets and all of them trading ideas about it and i kind of uh, wish it was them a little bit more. Yeah, but uh, but I don't dislike him or anything. Or, or he's he's this? fine. Because I, I had the same concern. I was like, uh, did we really need this extra dude on here? They just made a big deal of adding at the beginning of the season. They add Lieutenant Christopher to have their new communications officer because they knew they were going to have uh, Bryce go off and 
he's he's off working on, on some other project for Kovic. Why not just make Harai like the new communications officer and just be like, uh, because of because of the deal with we're dealing with this unknown species, we want to have this this uh, this high ranking linguist as your communications officer on the discovery. Then it would just feel a little bit more natural to me. I, agree. I guess the reason you need him is because I mean, realistically, and I think they even say it in the text, there would be you know you would put like thirty communication experts on this particular yeah. field on the ship, and they'd probably you'd probably want most of them in the shuttle bay right now. But yeah. that's not fun or it, it's unwieldy. Well, they only had two hours. They only had two hours before they had to go to the barrier. So they yeah. he so, was the best they could get. They couldn't get like his whole staff. Well, the, the point is he's he's the stand-in. He's the compromise between what it would really look like and what would be dramatic is just our heroes doing all the work i felt it was actually a little awkward that they didn't take him in the shuttle pod or in the little alien space pod later on yeah they wanted like, they wanted him work? behind in case they <laughs> they needed to, to communicate more i guess if something happened to them but i like him i i, I like that he's there and I, and I think he's an acceptable compromise between what would really what it would really look like and what it looks like on uh, what the tv version of this should be or would be so dave you made a comment earlier about uh saru and Tarina, or as I like to call them, Serena, and and their courtship. Um, but yeah. I actually, uh, I, I I suspect you might have had a, an issue with them, you know, taking the time to to talk about this. But I actually liked it when she shot uh, shut down Saru and uh, she. What did she say about spe speculation is of little use right now? And and then Saru is like, uh, oh yeah, she's being kind of mean to me. And then Burnham being the the good wingman, giving him some Vulcan dating tips, being like, uh, oh yeah, Vulcans are just like that. They they try to uh, overcompensate for their emotion in public and. Which, if that is true, we now know that Spock was madly in love with Doctor McCoy, right? <laughs> but no, I, I kind of like that. It tied into like the 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 larger theme. I think that's why I, I found it kind of forgivable. Is that is like it was about communication. I actually think that there's a story to be told about how when your existence is on the line, that that your emotions, your somebody you care for, love, uh, would actually be very heightened. And and I could absolutely understand him wanting to express these things. Instead, it sort of still feels a little too TNG virginal to me. <laughs> uh, I can't help. But that's the only way I can think of it. There were a lot of lot of lot of. They might have TNG hooked up episodes. last week when they went on their stroll in the holodeck. Yeah, Stam Stamets seemed to think something was going on when he gave that look to the captain. Which that felt like real workplace. That felt like like something like would really happen with you know you look at like one of your coworkers like oh my god I think they're about to hook up or something. You're you're saying your complaint, Dave, is that it was too Star Trek? Uh, uh a little bit. That that was uh, that was actually always something that bugged me on TNG. They always needed to, they, they, you know, because on one level they had like these guys like uh, the like a, kind of a notion of pretty pretty open sexuality. Uh, casual relationships were pretty common. It seems like, and like they would sometimes do that, and then they'd have somebody who's like, gee, how do you even start? talking to a girl yeah, and, and a. i was like oh my god um <laughs> so um so so yes um saru i i just think it's like not a particularly interesting place to go there is actually definitely a dramatic story to be told about someone who wants to tell somebody that they if not love them that they at least care about them and would like to like for it to happen if they don't all just die in the next 10 hours i think that's a great story but i'm not getting the story that i want out of it uh, I feel like a. Uh, I feel like it could be really moving, honestly. Well, I, I liked. I'm with Fathery. I liked it. I, I thought it was cool that they remembered that Michael's supposed to, should be is an expert on she's, all things. She's Vulcan the girl from Vulcan, be, yeah. Yeah, the girl from Vulcan. She would be very useful to have for getting advice advice on situations. And I like, like their this. friendship. I like that the, their friendship, which actually has been a, a 
pretty cool arc in the entire four seasons of the show. You know, yeah. when they started off uh, hating each other and and now where they are and and you know when they're they're going to go onto the scary orb that creepily morphs into their turbo lift door, which I thought that was like kind of creepy. It's like these aliens understand that's enough that they're like these are the doors these creatures go through. Let's put one on there for whatever reason. <laughs> that kind of freaked me out. But then the the screaming scene, which I I knew when I watched this, I was like. Some people are just allergic to anything that's awkward, and they're just like, ah, oh, cringe when they see things that are awkward. But I don't know. I thought this was a sweet moment when they when they, they scream at each other, but then when they're, like, laughing about it, and, uh, and, and they hug each other, and, and they piss off the cat, the cat runs off. <laughs> these weirdo humanoids are yelling. Like, I'm trying to take a nap. Why are these creatures yelling? I did think it was odd that the cat... Did didn't run didn't run away when Saru did his first unearthly yell, but then when they both yelled, then the cat left. Well, sometimes but cats Holly, are lazy, right? Like, yeah. They, well, they Holly do. pointed out to me that that this is Book's cat. It's been sitting around on Book's ship while Book collects all sorts of big monstrous animal things for his 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 you know save yeah. the dying and extinct. Very desensitized. Extinct. Yeah, yeah. So it's been hearing weird animal noises coming for mm-hmm. for like eight years now, and it's just whatever. <laughs> I, I thought the uh, the scream itself was a little uh, again another one of the slightly on the trite side of things, but I, I agree that that the uh, sort of what happened afterwards and her saying that you know um, you know there's nobody else I'd rather be facing this down with than you, or maybe he said that I, I forget who it I was. Think, but... I think she says that to him. Yeah, I like that a lot. I can't remember what movie it's in, but there's somebody was like uh, some, one of those some sci-fi movie where somebody says, uh, you know, with the end coming, I'm glad you're with me or whatever. And the other person is like, I wish I wasn't <laughs> like kind of <laughs> nice. It was obviously in, in whatever movie it was in. It was meant to be like a I actually am glad to be here with you, too. But I'm still smart ass enough to say shit like I, that. I would like to believe that if I was, uh, you know, about to um do the charge of the light brigade or something like that, that I would, uh, I would at least have like enough like sense of humor or whatever that I, I would be able to like, look, look over to the, my side to my friend and, and enjoy, uh, some, some funny I always wonder about that kind of stuff. I, do too, I, I yeah. feel like I'd be, I feel like I would want to, but I probably would just be in such utter shock and terror that I wouldn't, uh, by the way, Thomas Hill in the comments says that that's in James Cameron's the abyss. I think that's probably right okay. between, uh, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio and Ed Harris. Um, I can't quite call it perfectly to mind, but I, that, that would make sense. I know. I, I love that movie. So cool. Which brings us back to the blobby water things. I was about out. to say that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. I'm trying to, we're trying to get all the segues here. <laughs> uh, when they, when they go over onto the, the smaller orb that takes them, uh, takes them away. And uh, I like that, that moment when it like tell it, teleports away and, and Harai is kind of like he's kind of like shooken it's just like showing us that like the smart confident dude he's kind of uncomfortable it, it kind of adds the tension but the how considerate of the 10c that they recreate an environment that's a standing bridge for the star trek discovery production team really like <laughs> save them on, on some money on their budget where they could have like this conversation here and but it actually, it make, I mean, it makes sense that it would look like yeah. some room in Discovery because they don't know exactly what these people need to survive. You know, wait, what if we got the floor the wrong color and that means fuck you in their alien, in their language? We should just make it look exactly like their own room. That way we they, they can't possibly misconstrue any messages that we might un- unintentionally send. And it shows they're you know, starting I, to understand like yeah. like they okay they, they understand doors they understand like we go through these doorways they understand the bridge is like our important room um yeah. so they, they know they understand the isolatic weapon which is kind, that's kind of scary to like are they gonna be mad about that I, I, I kind of my thought was like was gonna be as a did you lose this <laughs> <laughs> here we we made you another one have this <laughs> apparently we accidentally broke your old one we didn't mean to so here's a new yeah, one yeah we accidentally hit it with our DMA <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
so yeah, I loved everything in this scene. This whole, I mean, I love the stuff in the shuttle bay too, but this part was also just brilliant. Um, I, I, I could, they, they need to do more bits like this scene in, in, in more Star Trek. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was a good payoff to how, like, they, they, they established, like, we're gonna have to try to use math, since that's, like, the universal language. Oh, they mention a Medi, by the way, which Anson Mount is on the board of directors, the the real-life oh. Medi organization. SETI, uh, SETI is the one that's looking for aliens in real life, and Medi is the one that, they're, like, broadcasting. They're, like, saying, like, hello, hello. Mm. Which some people are like, maybe we shouldn't be doing that. But um. yeah, I always remember in Cosmos that Carl Sagan. I mean, it seemed like he, they basically felt that the broadcasting stuff was probably the best best route we had. But they pay off that math stuff they set up when they when they communicate like the basic sentences like DMA plus us equals terror equals the terror emotions. And then when we get the response from the Ten C when they they send the greater than symbol and then sadness, you know, great sadness. I do want somebody to, by the way, overdub and Photoshop those in with emojis. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just texting uh, emojis back and forth. Yeah, we'll have like that that vomiting emoji or uh, <laughs> the poop emoji, the devil emoji. played by Patrick Stewart and the yeah. cartoon. <laughs> Jesus! Oh no! Oh no! Uh. Yeah, the, uh, the, the it was it was some great stuff. They made a big deal about oh, it's gonna be it might be really difficult to talk to these people. It actually isn't. They're knocking it out in just a handful of hours. Um, they had one point where they got stuck enough they needed to bring in the, uh, the the bridge crew to give them a nudge. But you know, again, going on the sort of metaphorical level or abstract level, the, in a in a show where the common in like ninety nine percent of the time is that universal translator just translates. Yeah. D- you know, do it going through this feels painstaking it feels very like like they really had to work for it and i and so i think that they did a they did a good job of conveying that i i i i broadly think that the show is always taking too long and i would rather (laughs) this had been happening in episode five and there was somehow more to the story and they just did fill the episodes with other stuff but but i do think that it works pretty well on that sense yeah and, and i mean we've got the ticking clock so that so that you know if you think about it, you're like, this is actually going really well, but is it going well enough to solve the problem before Earth and Vulcan get blown up? You know, that, right. That, that yeah. is, there was a point at which uh, uh, the president uh, or like Burnham tells the president, like they haven't responded yet. If they were going to, they would have done it by now. And I was thinking, man, tell that to the Ents in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> those guys will... Those guys take like three days just to learn your name or whatever. I kind of had to headcanon that that's where some of our time gaps were, where it was between the transmission and the giving up on the transmission and switching to something else. Admittedly, spraying it with the chemicals was a pretty good plan that had a pretty good chance of working and a pr- and, and a very un- low chance of pissing yeah. them off. Well, it did, it did so. get their attention, so that yes. they did get the the acknowledgement. They got their foot in the door, their foot in the hyperfield. Yeah. <laughs> Let's uh, hop on over from the Discovery to Book's ship and talk about the book Tarka and Reno stuff. They have uh, their their hostage, Jet Reno, from last week's episode, and they're still in cahoots with Nadoye, who is working alongside with them. And cat hoots. They're in cat, cat hoots. Cat, cat boots, right? <laughs> cat boots. Yeah. That was it. That's right. Yeah, of course. <laughs> But yeah, so they're they're working with with Nadoye, and I I actually uh liked a lot of the the Reno stuff. They they kept talking about like she's gonna have like a big big role in this season, and we're just like, when's it coming? When's it coming? And then finally, you know, these this last batch of episodes, we're getting it. But the conversation between her and Book, where we get Book's backstory, we get Reno's backstory the whole time she's working on the communicator, so she's doing her engineer thing, being a good engineer. And I thought that her story was like maybe a little grim dark about i i kept this this young dude alive for 11 days while he was like begging to die <laughs> because i missed my wife but um I, I agree with you dave what you said at the top of the show i liked hearing about books backstory and i, I like the 
just the idea of like her being like you know this very rough smart ass type of of perhaps even rude person but her trying to have this heart-to-heart moment with book when you know the stakes are really high when the pressure is on and you know she's she's a good person she sees in him that he's a good person she's trying to reach out and connect with him and and try to make him see what's going on and do the right thing Uh, but i also agree with what you said dave that it was should have been obvious to book that tarko was not gonna was not gonna back down yeah i don't know that i necessarily necessarily needed him to be like oh i'm also gonna you know, cause this, you know, probably kill us doing this or whatever. Like, like, I, I don't, I, I kind of wish he had remained more ambiguous. He didn't need the, the full heel turn. Uh, that said, I was going to say, I, I liked when Jet asked him, said, uh, would the original or would your precursor book have been approved of what you're doing right now? Uh, and she, and, and he's like, I think he would have understood it. And I was like, oh man, that's, that's tough because I know that she really, that should have hit him hard. But unfortunately, like he, it does seem like he's got some this capacity to maybe it's because he communicates with, you know, he has this empathic ability that he's a little bit more open to kind of vagaries and gray morality than she is. But I thought that was an interesting conversation. I like the nuance. And I like that she got to do something. She got to be like, you know, kind of hostage. She got to get out of the person. engineering room and do something. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of having all of her scenes in the spore drive room, she had <laughs> a bunch of scenes in this room. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think I think the reason why why Book was so forgiving of Tarka for so long was the Oro stuff from a couple weeks ago when he's when he saw um oh yeah this guy just wants to get back to the person he's in love with I get that like I understand yeah. that yeah uh, what was the straw that broke the camel's back was when he saw that like Tarka was was willing to destroy the discovery and just put Earth and Navar at risk still and Tarka's defense of that I actually was okay with that where where Tarka is like well you know you you have three seconds that's plenty of time for you to make a a, a warp drive escape three and, minutes I think it was three minutes or you're saying like oh yeah Earth won't get hit by that debris for six months those scientists will have time to figure something out and just he's made all these mental gymnastic leaps and bounds to to justify what he wants to himself and with the state of of our real world uh right now just the the situation that we're in it's it's something like i i don't think i'm someone with like depression or anything but like i feel like in the back of my head i'm just always like kind of on some level i'm just always like kind of miserable because i i don't think we're going to achieve the star trek utopia i'm not i'm not trying to be like a debbie downer but i i do have a hard time seeing like a uh, civilization as we know it continuing past the 21st century what with with climate change with uh, chemical pollution you know like, like there's plastic in like every living creature here like we, we can easily perhaps even probably cause major ecosystem disruption that'll be irreparable and lead to mass level d- extinction within the next few decades so to me like the idea of like what if i could just like escape all of this and go be with someone I love who who I can't be with here. And like, you know, well, maybe, I mean, it might blow up these people, but maybe it won't. Like that, that, that <laughs> selfishness, uh, actually, like I, I, I think it's weird to admit to, but like, I, I'm not saying I would do what he's doing, but I can understand it. I can understand why someone would. Like, uh, like Book's predecessor, um, he might understand <laughs> it. Um, no, I actually, I, I think exploring selfishness is actually often uh, an interesting idea and, and, it's it's the kind of thing that um, oh the the push pull between the actual and the scripted episode of City on the Edge of Forever and whether Kirk is willing to sacrifice all the galaxy for Edith Keeler um, is you know that that brings that question up even if it's maybe not really in the final episode um, and, and so yeah I I, I kind of uh, I, I like that idea uh, as a quick aside I see that uh, the, over in the comments that the Boronite ma- maneuver. Is uh, very concerned about the possibility of um, Jet being killed off, and and uh, text uh, posted, "Don't kill her off, please." This almost seems like an Arium thing. I don't think they're going to kill I, her. I don't, I don't think so either. I, I 
I feel like she's pretty sick. Tig, Tig Notaro is, is like super good friends with Alex Kurtzman. That's why she's on the show. Like, I don't think they're going to kill her. Friends in high places. <laughs> I, I'm much, I'd be more worried about Book not I think surviving Book the is, next episode. Yeah, Book might be primed for a self-sacrifice. One thing I was unable to point out in the Gorneggs last week because I wasn't around, but the language that Tarka uses on his little graphic user interface is actually based on Mike Okuda's Ryzean language that we saw in, oh, nice. in back in Enterprise. <laughs> yeah. um, Mike Okuda and Denise Okuda, they just got like the Lifetime Achievement Award from the, the Art Director's uh, Union yeah. this week. That's super oh, cool, yeah. Yeah, cool. yeah, great for them. They they wrote the Star Trek Encyclopedia, which was my Bible growing up. They, they were like my, my Star Trek fandom uh, mom and dad, and they raised me on in all the Star <laughs> Trek lore. And Larry Nemechek was like the crazy uncle. <laughs> it was Mama and Papa Okuda. I did think that... Locking an engineer into a room with a bunch of crates of who knows what is just asking for trouble. I mean, have they not seen MacGyver or A-Team or, <laughs> or any episode of Star Trek? You give the engineer some anything to play with and they're going to they're going to rig something up to cause you well, problems. And sure enough, they did. But you, the answer to your question is no, Brian, they haven't seen they don't they don't. No, that they're in a TV show. Fair enough. Do you think it's enough. possible that Tarka has... Kovic has seen those shows. He might have. But maybe not Tarka. <laughs> yeah. um, that said, it reminded me of like, you know, I like all, love all those episodes where O'Brien gets to really... Or Scotty, you know, really pushes themselves and you're like, oh man, this when these guys cut loose, it's super fun. Yeah. And and so I thought, it, you know, although it happened in a more kind of quiet way, I really liked that with Chet. <laughs> yeah, with the, the black um, licorice. Yeah. Yeah. I liked Dread Pirate Booker. I, I thought <laughs> Reno's uh, story was wonderfully touching and sad and fucked up, but 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 all in just the right ratios. I did think at one point, Book says, if diplomacy, you know, we're, we, we won't do this if diplomacy starts working. And I was like, what is your definition of starts working? They've actually been really successful within just a few hours. They're already getting invited over for tea by the aliens. I mean, what more, what more the diplomacy is working? Do you want book? <laughs> he wants a high five or nothing. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I was just thought that was a unreasonably high bar there for, uh, for diplomacy to be clearing at this point. <laughs> so. When, when Tarka had his physical confrontation with book and is basically like kicking his ass with his force fields. I don't know about you, Dave as a fellow comic book man, but to me, it made me think of Brainiac 5 of the Legion of Superheroes. He uses force fields a lot. You know, I, I actually haven't read that many Brainiac uh, stories. Um, uh, are you talking, oh, right, you're talking about Brainiac 5 from Legion, not Brainiac, yeah. uh, the Superman bad guy. Um, yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. It's uh, he, that's, that's true. He does really always have his like, personal, he, he's, personal force field, yeah. you know, knocking people around. He's, and he's stuff. kind of yeah. above the physical fisticuffs, but yeah, yeah he, yep. he'll use force fields. I, I was watching and I was like, Shoot the ship book. Disable the ship. Don't try to shoot him. Shoot the ship. But I was like, you know, realistically, he's getting the shit beaten out of him. He's been betrayed by this guy that he kind of thought of as a friend. He's probably not thinking. All yeah, that he's got that fight or point. flight mode adrenaline, which, yeah. by the way, I, I was watching this. I was thinking like Reno is smarter than I am, because when when Tarka knocks out book and drags him over to Reno's force field and is going to imprison book there. I was thinking like Reno, like get up and like try to like punch him or something. And I'm like. Well, that's what I would have like the instinct to do, but he would just knock my ass around the room with his force field like he just did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it would be in the heat of the moment. I think it'd, it'd be hard to hard to resist that. But uh, Reno didn't react that way. But I think she's probably smarter than I am. Well, let, let's uh, get into our our ending of this episode, and then the the cliffhanger it it leaves us on. But there's also a a storyline of 
Zora not not feeling herself, not not feeling quite normal, and then Doctor Colber, he's he's a medical doctor, he's a therapist, and now he's Detective Colber. He's he's trying to figure out what happened to Jet Reno, and they they find her comm badge, they find the the patch that messed up Zora's programming, and they're they're too late when they they piece it all together because dramatically that's the time that Tarka sends the instructions to Nadoye to go ahead and vent the plasma and pierce the hole in the ten C orb that they're trapped in. So he's off to go after the the power source and. The the 10C seem to be aware and possibly pissed off because they send the the delegation away team back to the ship. So uh, pr- pretty high stakes to end on, and and they yeah. they are they're able to communicate it all to Burnham. Basically, what you know what's going on with the the, the licorice communicator finally finally coming into yes. play at the end. I was a little frustrated that that's the second time that they're like, okay, okay, things are okay, and then Tarka's like, Beep. nope. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I we, we we did see that happen already once before and so it wasn't i was less than thrilled with that i i um i, I know that tarka they're, they're they, they need him to be the antagonist here but i i was hoping for something a little more interesting i guess i i figured book didn't know that tarka was gonna have done all this crazy security systems bullshit and so book thought yeah i've got i've got my gun I'm, i could always know. if i need to drop this little pencil neck yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> he might even be making try doing his best to make sure that tarka isn't carrying a gun so that that would like okay i've got a gun he doesn't yeah. have a gun i <laughs> i just want to point you know. out that i think book does some some dumb things sometimes writers need characters to act kind of dumb in order to move the story along the next episode we're going to talk about after this i was impressed with how the writers avoided all that and i didn't think any of the characters acted stupid in the next episode we're going to talk about and i was very impressed with that with the writing there i guess i still haven't really felt that book does anything that is implausibly dumb let's put it that way i feel like book has still been at least within my the central, realms of television storytelling my central issue with book is that i had a hard i've continued to have a hard time buying that he would essentially be a ahab ever even even in the situation he's in um he's just always seemed like it, it didn't seem to be part of his nature um but have accepting that 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 he does have that in him then uh, yeah i kind of agree with you brian he hasn't uh, sort of since deciding to go on this course i don't think he's done anything that's beyond the pale if you accept that he really thinks this is something that needs to be done yeah now thinking of Doing something dumb. At one point, they say, tell Paul it's not his fault concerning not noticing that Jet Reno had disappeared. This is Paul. He stamets. He is working on trying to save, you know, Earth and Vulcan and the rest of the Milky Way. And he's continually calling to, you know, one of his best engineers. And that engineer is blowing him off and not answering him all day. He says, I've been trying to get a hold of her all day. And he hasn't followed up on that or tasked somebody to say, find out where the hell Reno is and why she's not answering my message. Isn't Stamets also a guy who's used to kind of trying to take it all on himself and also kind of pushes people away? He also tends to get pretty upset when people don't treat him with respect it's because like it's because michael told calls. uh saru michael told saru go have stamets build the little communication device i need you to come teach me how to scream <laughs> it's because they made stamets do that he didn't have time to figure out what was going on with reno i i felt that was a little weird that he would let that go for that long they were i think i would have put it's a bit of a stretch yeah i preferred that no senior officer called on reno and the junior officers of course just accepted that they're they're lower deckers whatever reno's not answering must be more important than what i'm asking about so <laughs> but i think it was pretty believable the uh the way that they explained uh 
how Reno's disappearance would go unnoticed from Zora. And then the computer being like, okay, something's not quite right, but I don't know exactly what it is. It, it helped make that stuff feel a little bit more. No, I, I loved every other aspect. I just thought that right. once they had Paul say, saying that I hadn't, I'd been trying to get a hold of her all day, it felt weird. Everything else I thought was wonderfully done. And they had built Tarka up to be enough of a genius that it felt plausible that he could have set up all of these, these safeguards and stuff. So I actually thought, yeah, no, it's, it's Tarka's a smart son of a bitch. And if he wants to fool you, you're probably going to be fooled. So. Yeah, he's so smart. And you've already seen him try to take control of your ship one time. You probably shouldn't just let him be you know, running around in control. Like <laughs> I like do Book wonder if we're going to find out that uh, like uh, like Kirk, he hasn't been exactly been upfront with Tarka about everything. And he's still got some cards up his sleeve. Well, I would like that, but uh, who knows? I guess we'll find out next week. And then yes, I, I, if he doesn't have any cards up his sleeve, then I will think, Book, you're not as smart as I thought. Yeah, you are not worthy of the Cleveland Booker title. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. I guess here with like the payoff of Nadoye actually like pulling the trigger, I kind of did like like the tension that it added like all along. Like you, the whole time, you know, Nadoye might stab them in the back, and when when she doesn't go with the other delegates, when she's like, I'm I'm more needed here. I trust you, President Tarina, to to represent our planets. Wait, sorry, was that the last she knew? Of, of where the status of the negotiations that they'd been invited over. Yeah, yeah. She, she sent them, she saw them go away. And then when she talked to Book and Tarka on the phone, she was like, oh, we're having to just basically start communications from, from square one with, you know, doing like right. four is less than nine. Like, we're, there's no way we're going to, we're going to get in, in communication in time to save my planet. Um, you know, um, I sort of get it from her. I wish they had actually sort of justified it where she, in the same way that uh, Jet Reno told that story about herself, uh, where she said something like, I would love to give them the time, but we've been fighting for our existence on Earth, you know, for, for decades now. And sometimes, you know, when there have been times that I've waited on something and it's cost lives and I, it's not going to happen again. It's too, the risks are too big. I wish I had had that scene, though. I mean, she has reiterated we need to give diplomacy a chance again and again, up leading up into that point. It just clearly crossed some sort of clock threshold yeah. of, okay, now we have, don't have enough hours left for me to keep saying that. And, and I've always gotten uh, the vibe that she's more of the of the soldier than anything else. So I guess yeah, she, she yeah. kind of feels like that yeah. that hawkish, uh, you know, military general who who probably has like a good heart and is just like looking out for their people. But uh, you know, they're they're gonna yeah. they're gonna be the, the person of action and and take action. Yeah. I agree. I would have liked the reason I would have liked that scene is just because I think it would have better dramatized her decision since they've spent so much time. Will she help? Will she, you know, whose side is she on? Which one is she with? I kind of wanted to get a little bit more in her head at the moment of making it. And I would have liked to have seen some conversation she had with Book or something mm. about it. Uh, Boromite Maneuver has a good comment. Reno has been known to disappear for days, though. True. Fair enough. I don't think we're <laughs> right. supposed to notice that. Well, yes. <laughs> when, when the galaxy is on the line, I, I, I think that's when Stamets would be like, I think, call her up and say, hey, I know you usually disappear, but we need you right the fuck now. <laughs> do, do you have any final thoughts on this episode? Well, I guess I did want to say this is one of the best, at least as far as having me on the edge of my seat, cliffhangers I have seen in a Star Trek episode in decades. You know, this this might be up there close to best of both worlds. Prepared Easy. Uh, this, Easy there, Brian. Uh, I love this cliffhanger. I don't know. I, I'm not saying the whole season was as, uh, on that level, but that by the time they'd built up all the things going wrong and all the dominoes falling down, I was just like, oh my fucking God, what, it's all going to hell. <laughs> so, it's not though. Uh, it's Michael Burnham's going to save the galaxy oh, next. 
next yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all going. But but I just I was very impressed with that ending. My other final thought would be I wanted them to reach out with a big glowing green hand and grab the dots and grab the ship. <laughs> <laughs> That would have been an interesting choice. But speaking of that, I have something to kind of build on that for my, my final thought on the episode. But sure. there is a bit of a tradition in Star Trek where you take kind of a, an existing Star Trek idea and kind of turn it on its head. Like the Wrath of Khan was all about, you know, Khan being Captain Ahab out for revenge and, and going insane, trying to, to have his vengeance against Kirk. And they kind of flip that around in Star Trek First Contact and like, oh, what if our good guy captain with Captain Picard, he's the Ahab and he's, you know, trying to get his revenge against the Borg or Enemy Within, you split Kirk into two people with the transporter. Voyager turned that around. We're going to combine two people with two Vicks. Uh, they're doing Devil in the Dark in reverse here, where instead of us being the the miners, you know, digging around mining and, oh no, we're stepping in all these Horda eggs and just just committing like genocide here. It's like, Oh no, it's the other way around. The, this alien species—they they seem to, to not be mean or aggressive or malicious, uh, but they, maybe they were just mining like on Devil in the Dark, and they're just accidentally just like blowing up our planet. So I thought that was kind of interesting. That okay, we're the Horda now. Yeah, we literally have our no-kill eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> with with uh, what is it? How did they put it? Uh, fear. D- uh, DMA fear. plus us equals great sadness. Equals yes. no kill or, eye. No, uh, DMA plus us equals terror. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I hadn't caught that, but you're right. It is a very much a reverse devil in the dark. Uh, so, and, and it looks like Tarka's going to try to be that devil. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. Cause we have to have a big bad for the, the, the good guys to go punch at the very end. We have to have, we have to have, a. Uh... Uh, Leyland or Osira or I guess Tarka now. But. Yeah. yeah, now that we've spent an episode being as Star Trek as possible, there's going to be a bunch of shooting and explosions and running up and down corridors. And stuff. Dave, what about you? Any final thoughts? Uh, that was a very thoughtful comment, Fathery, and I'm afraid I don't have anything uh, to, to match up to it. Um, uh, my thought is that I was pleasantly surprised to get a penultimate episode like this that, that kind of pulled me back in, and uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to the finale, but I, but I don't have any sort of, uh, any bigger, deeper thoughts than that, yeah. necessarily. No, no, you're perfectly positioned for a Discovery finale to disappoint you. Absolutely. <laughs> always, always enjoy the tradition. Well, we'll, we'll hope, <laughs> hope for the best, prepare for the worst, and uh, we, we still have a lot of Picard to talk about. Speaking of which, we can now switch gears and jump back in time from the 32nd century to the 25th century to talk Father about no Picard. Eggs. I, there's only one Gornag that I thought was worth mentioning in that Discovery episode, so I'll just save it for the very end. Right on. Which it's not really, it's not a really very good Gornag, but I wanted them to have one. <laughs> uh, uh, but no, um, this this Picard episode, Penance, I'm just going to quickly recap it by reading the official synopsis, and then I'll kind of expand upon that with spoilers, as is the tradition. But the official synopsis reads... Picard finds himself transported to an alternate timeline in the year 2400. I think it's actually 2401, so that's a typo. Where his longtime nemesis Q has orchestrated one final trial. Picard searches for his trusted crew as he attempts to find the cause of this dystopian future. And uh, yes, he is in a topsy-turvy world where all of the human race are genocidal, conquering maniacs. And he is able to reunite with Seven, Rios, Gerardi, Elnor and Raffi, and they are going to attempt time warp like Star Trek IV, go back in time with the help of the Borg Queen, and try to set things right. So, um, Brian, what do you think of 
this episode, and we'll just go around and say our opening statements. Very good. Very satisfying. I, I did like Discovery more, but only because this was one of the best Discovery episodes out there. Uh, this 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 was a very strong episode that was highly entertaining. Um, seeing Picard and Q go at it again was was just magnificent. Uh, those two have not lost a beat when it comes to comes to chewing into each other um and i i hope we get a lot more of that and that the, that it's not just relegated to one last scene at the end of the season or something but i hope q drops in at least a few more times the there was loads of easter eggs and references but there was enough adventure and tension and 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 stakes that they, they everything moved along fast enough that I didn't feel like the Easter eggs, uh, Gorn eggs, drug things down too much. Which I, I kind of I have seen other episodes of Star Trek where there's so much of that that it actually slows you down as you are stopping to decode this, that, and the other thing, and it feels like the episode loses some energy because you're you're busy getting distracted by all these little things. But most of them felt like they were fairly tied to the plot. I thought fairly well, and 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 they they pushed the story along rather than just being. Uh, look, here's a plausible reference to something else you might recognize. So, yeah, I, I liked it a lot. Cool. Dave, what about you? All right. I'm sorry to say I didn't like the episode. <laughs> you don't have to apologize to us. You know, I hate when I don't like Star Trek. The uh, I actually loved the opening. I was very like I was so on board the sort of unhinged cue sequence and uh, thought John Delancey was just really he was he was tearing it up, but without overacting. And I thought he was just so good in it, uh, you know, even like with that even moment of violence where he smacks Picard. But uh, the rest of the episode was that kind of the gathering the team. And that's a trope I actually like uh, most of the time. Um, but I think the fact that it felt so much like sort of familiar mirror universe territory, even though it wasn't the mirror universe, that uh, they, they were that sort of almost over the top fascism of it was was not particularly entertaining to me i wanted to if i'm gonna do a mirror universe stuff i need to see it subverted more and <laughs> that's which is weird because the mirror universe is a subversion itself but um uh it's it, like when they were gonna execute them at the end i felt like it was like i was like oh this is kind of like the running man or something like that it kind of felt larger than life a little more arnold schwarzenegger -y. i am interested to see what happens next i'm i, I want to see the time travel stuff and all that but uh, it seems like at the heart of this is some dark secret of picard and that's also got me a little nervous because when you do that, it's, it's almost like telling a Superman story and we're going to find out that Superman did something bad as a kid and that um, that's, you know, his road not taken was I'm like, what did what did Picard do? Like, was he did he do some racist thing? Did he do some some heinous thing? Did he choke some kid to death? I don't know what happened. Did he, so whatever he, he Q said, he was like, oh, I know what you're talking about. And uh, it's going to be some big thing. I'm, I'm worried that they will not land that and that I'm going to be like man f this <laughs> uh, but i also think talking about like uh, a good star trek plot uh, story can come from talking about how even really you know very great people have it within them to to or especially when they were younger and more foolish just literally ignorant in the neutral neutral use of the word he just didn't know enough to have done something bad and, and i think that's a discussion worth having and and that was kind of what happened to kirk uh, with his klingon hatred in trek six so I'm curious to see where it goes, but I just kind of felt like this this episode was old hat mirror universe stuff. But I liked every mirror universe I've seen uh, episode I've seen better than this. Oh, I I definitely like this better than a lot of the other mirror universe. You can take parts. even one of the one of the sort of lesser ones from DS9, and I I liked it better. <laughs> well, uh, for me, I really wish that I had been around last week to discuss the season premiere of Picard uh, because. 
that show really hit the ground running and it was just such a huge shot in the arm to the fandom. I, I'm thrilled at the amount of enthusiasm we saw last week. And I was you know, just as excited about that premiere as anyone else, but I feel like this week they do an excellent job of keeping that momentum going and, and building upon that. And uh, yes, it's just, you know, kind of refreshing to me for just the, the positivity that I've, I, I have been seeing with uh, the reactions to, to Picard season two so far. But I, I did have one minor issue with this episode and one major issue with it. Uh, the major hang up uh, being a little bit in agreement with Dave, where I... And I, I really liked this one, but I feel that this alternate Earth is just so similar to the Terran Empire in the Mirror Universe that I wish that they had done something just a little bit more different than that or put some type of different spin on, on this bad version of history. Uh, but uh, I, I think it is in some important ways different where the Mirror Universe is kind of it's real pulpy and kind of like hammy. And this is played a lot more serious, I felt like. So there, there was some distinction there, but uh, I, I still had like a really good time here. And I'll, I'll get into my minor quibble uh later on it's it's nothing big just something that that kind of stuck out to me but but yeah just the idea of like okay in this in this dark timeline uh humanity has just decided we're going to go conquer and enslave all the aliens that we come across so that's, that's pretty much the same thing as the terran empire that being said though i love the the all the sneaking around stuff i always felt the the menace always felt like the the threat of of seven's husband about to, to figure them out i always felt that they were they were under pressure but they were making smart choices you know this isn't their first rodeo especially like picard or seven or people that might have dealt with alternate timeline stuff before so uh they, they're figuring things out quickly um I, I felt everyone was was pretty useful here i guess we don't see like a ton of rios he's kind of like uhura in star trek 3 where uh, the character is cool when you see them but they're not in it a lot but yeah q was scary again like he was in the first couple seasons seasons of next generation so i, I loved those scenes with delancey and i loved all all the, all the stuff with, with Hillman Stewart together. Uh, and the Q stuff didn't overshadow the other characters. I think that was actually worked pretty well that he's just there at the beginning and then doesn't doesn't stay in the episode too long where he overshadows everything else. And I'm, I'm glad they're able to thread the, that needle and balance that. And I'm very much ready and willing to get out of this alternate 25th century and see what kind of fun stuff they have in store for these characters when they visit our decade here in, in the 2020s. And so I'm hoping that happens very soon in the in the next episode. I'd prefer it to happen in the beginning of the next episode as opposed to like the ending of the next episode. I guess we'll find out next week. Um, but yeah, I don't, don't want to spend too much time in this not quite mirror universe, mirror universe. I'm ready to uh, move the story along. And I feel like it is moving quickly. They do have ideas that there are things they are trying to get to, unlike Discovery Season 4, which has felt like kind of a drag. So um, I, I'm I'm excited, I'm energized, and uh, very much uh, looking forward to what happens next when we go to that next phase of the story out of, past this time period and into the, the 2020s, which is where we think they're they're headed. I have this hunch that if DS9 had bas- hadn't basically made it impossible that this probably would have just been the mirror universe. Um, but of course, DS9 revealed... I don't, I don't the, think the, so. The, the... I don't think so. They could have still done that. The IDW comics figured out a way to make mirror universe next generation work and make sense with keeping what happened in Deep Space Nine intact. But no, I, I don't think they would have done that. I think this, this was going to always require something new because they're they're tying it into something like Q that Q did or that, that happened in, in our modern day in the 2020s and... Yeah, but the TV show never established what caused the mirror universe in the first place, so it could still turn out to be the origin of it. But but that said, you know, yeah, you're probably right. Uh, certainly the DS9 episodes came out quite a while ago, so that ship sailed a long time ago. 
but yeah. And this does kind of feel like something that like Q has kind of intentionally manufactured because it's every everyone's in like kind of like high up places. Like Rios is still on a ship like La Serena, and you know it's it's like yeah, I think Q is kind of like poking things around uh, to work out this. It way. used mirror universe logic, yeah. which is to say things are very different, but they kind of like. Uh, to, sorry to get George Lucas here, but they rhyme. <laughs> yeah, we, we have the same actors in the same sets, so <laughs> that, that's a requirement. It's a fairly satisfying format. It's a f- satisfying trope, so I, I I rarely mind it. I know Brian is one of your bugaboos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I yeah, and I, it bugs me a bit here, though. At least they're kind of playing it straight instead of doing it as camp, but or at least as camp. Yeah, but uh, the, th- the Q says. This was created by by humanity. That this is your guys's fault. Not he 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 denies responsibility for this timeline. He says it's humans. Humanity created this timeline. But did um, he say he's like the that this is the road not taken? Yes, but he didn't say so. So I was almost wondering: is the twist going to be? This is what the world would have been if Q had not interfered. If, if this is this is the this is the natural timeline without interference is this horrific place. And if that's what we're going to find out, which might run contrary to Gene's vision, so I don't know if they'd be willing to really go there to say that humans are only good because an alien interfered is probably not something Gene Roddenberry would have approved of. On the other hand, there's a lot of stuff that happens in Star Trek these days that Roddenberry is, at certain points in his life wouldn't have approved of. And at um, certain points he would have so it's yeah yes it, and it's um, kind of a weird thing to I, worry about yeah i i don't feel like if roddenberry wouldn't have liked it is necessarily an automatic reason to throw it out of star trek but it is at least worth acknowledging that some for some people that's very important the counterpoint to Q's statement that uh that this is that, that this is the uh that humanity created this world is kind of the Borg queen basically saying this universe is wrong. Yeah. And she, unlike Q, who's master of bullshit, or Picard, who's just guessing, the queen appears to have some actual trans-universal knowledge, like an Ellurian like Guinan or something. I mean they should, they've assimilated the- enough of them, right? Yeah, 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 they should. I hadn't thought about that, but that really explains it. Oh, my God, you're right. They have Elarians. They might have the secret of the Elarian multi-universal perception now is part of their their collective now. Um, and the queen might have that. That could even be an Elarian in, that we see. Um, does she have eyebrows? But yeah, so on one hand, it sounds like Q is saying this is not I'm not my doing. But then the Borg queen also seems to say this universe is broken. I suppose it's possible that... It's going to be a Pogo paradox where Picard goes back in time to fix things and creates the evil universe. But that's the same plot beat they did with All Good Things and Q and Picard, where Picard trying to solve the anomaly created the anomaly. So I don't think they would do that again, just because that is All Good Things, the very the previous Q episode before this one. Yeah, I think it's kind of fruitless to try to decipher what Q is even talking about here, where he's saying that... uh. Uh, oh, I would tell you what to do, but you're too clever to listen to me. Or, you know, when Picard's like, I don't have time for your bullshit. Cut to the chase. And he's like, the chase is cut. I'm by the suture. And it's, I, like, it, 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 I'm, I'm not even going to try to speculate at this. I'm just going to wait till the, I get to the end of the season. And I'm going to go back and rewatch this. And be like, now it makes, I don't, I don't think we're supposed to be able to decipher it. I think it's supposed to just be uh, weird and, and just kind of enticing. Like, what the hell is going on here? And just to help show how disturbing it is, the unhinged cue, the, the cue that is not well, as, as Picard describes him, who's, who's slapping Picard around. You've got some uh, screenshots pulled up, and uh, those uh, those stills of uh, Delancey's face at their maximum 
peaks of expression, <laughs> what would be key frames of animation, uh, are really good. Uh, I, I, he, he looks, uh, they, they convey unhinged. He was scary, yeah, he was scary. <laughs> and yeah. It's not quite the same, but it's similar to Q in seasons one and two, where he's he's talking about, oh yeah, the space is, space is full of all these things, all these mysteries, both subtle and gross, but it's not for the timid, or you know, whatever he's saying, where um, you, you think you're a big badass, let me show you the Borg, they'll put you in your place, and he felt more menacing early on before he became a, a bit more of the clown character with the mariachi band in season three. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was the thing. He says Q was like insane or something. And I'm like, I didn't see anything in his performance that was any different than the usual Q that we have gotten in previous Q stories. Uh, I mean, he says he makes the comment about he's dying or sick or something, but his performance, his actions felt like the usual Q bullshit. That was, that was, this is, I, I didn't know what I, I thought. He, I think he came off as, as a lot angrier. Like he's like mad at Picard. Yeah, well, he's like he's like, like striking Picard yeah. is, is certainly something he generally hasn't he, done. He did to and Picard also, what Cisco did to him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I love that riff on Deep Space Nine there. Q has now learned that you can punch the captain. <laughs> I, I don't know if this is quite true, but he seemed like he might have been like sort of more morose. His metaphors were a little bit di more dire. He still does. I mean, like he had that capacity in older ones, but but he, he it, it felt a little more intense as portrayed here. I did wonder about the suture. Like, okay, to me, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about that. I'm like, okay, so is Q actually trying to fix things like like in uh, All Good Things, where he basically, he gives Picard just enough hints that he is able to sabotage the collect the, the Q continuum's plan for Picard. Is, is Q also trying to fix something here by providing Picard with some information or nudging Picard along in some direction rather than being the instigator of the problem or the so solely an instigator? Is he also trying to pull things together like a suture would uh, and, and, and prevent things from falling apart uh, to help with the healing process of whatever's broken. Well, I don't know if people want to discuss things that we can parse from the, from the trailers or from like the interviews or anything yeah. like that. So I don't, I don't want to talk about that stuff yeah. too much, but I'll just say that John Delancey has dropped some hints and in interviews as to what Q's oh. motivation might be. I love the mention of the cameos in our comments <laughs> from fun. will now oh. commence. Are you talking about skull Ducat? <laughs> yes yeah and martok and all the yeah, rest have and fun even there. yeah there's some fun to be had there with the gorn eggs which uh i actually <laughs> i did not mind being away last week on the star trek cruise and not having to do the gorn eggs for the first episode of, of picard season two because there there were uh a lot and 800 i, I would have died yeah. um and yeah. instead of being a three plus hour stream it would have been a 47 plus hour stream yeah <laughs> oh getting back to your earlier comment about q how, how much is q arranging things if He's not responsible for this universe, yet Picard basically basically trips over all of his buddies to his most his new friends. Um, also, if Picard was gonna, if Q was gonna set uh, Picard up with some friends to help him out, you know he'd pick the Picard, the Next Generation crew, wouldn't he? Because that's that's the crew that know him, that he knows that that he has a relationship, not with the, not these new guys. So well, what the, it these are the people me, that were at the stargazer explosion last week which yeah. seemed to well, start yeah, this. I, it felt awfully convenient that picard manages to stumble into just those particular people right. so quickly and, and they have their memories they, they have like their normal yeah. so q is obviously he, he he's involved in some major way yeah well i did wonder did q actually engineer season one of picard so that picard would be friends with the people that he's going to meet now Oh. <laughs> uh, you know, Q could could Q can do things in all sorts of weird ways. Maybe he looks at all the people Picard's going to bump into. Q did here, the casting then, for Star Trek Picard. 
yeah, season one of Picard so that Picard would have the people friends he needs in this episode to solve the problem. I doubt they're going to go that convoluted, but it would be a hell of a twist if he, if he did. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, my, the, I love this opening scene. It gave me all sorts of things to think about and ideas and what's going on with this and what's going on with that. I notice he he says that Picard, that Picard is going to perform a penance. Yeah, but a penance this is, is not a lesson; you, it's a penance. Yeah, and that's a, a penance is something you willingly take on. It's a punishment you take on to do because of something you feel you deserve a punishment. It's not something that's inflicted upon you. It's something you choose to inflict upon yourself. Well, that and said, that's, lots of uh, lots of uh, inquisitors and stuff in the you know during the Inquisition surely did horrible punishments and said this is penance for your sins. It it. It, for somebody like Q, who uses words vengefully, it could still be of his doing. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, but is Picard going to have a choice in this? Is there going to be yeah. a moment? I where think Picard it is going to, to lead choose. to something like and, that. And Q yeah. does want Picard to do something because when uh, they're they're in Picard's trophy room, and and Picard is saying like, you know, I'm not going to play your games. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to participate. And that's when Q gets like fed up and he like disappears. He vanishes and, and just leaves uh, Picard alone with uh, Harvey, his his android personal assistant, yeah. I guess. <laughs> but uh, I see. Uh, Boatwreck says, uh, I hope Q speaks in nothing but episode titles yeah. from now he on. Dropped, he dropped I a couple that in here. Yeah, 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 I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll gore yeah. him. I, I, I heard those and I was like, oh, that probably made Dave sad when he heard that. Even though I, <laughs> I think they actually worked and fit in the dialogue just fine, so it didn't matter, but. Yeah, um, I think once he once he got to say uh, trek across the stars, then it, w- it opened a floodgate, and that's all <laughs> he, he knows. He's now. he's in a TV show. Uh, show our our yes, friend yes. Uh, Aaron Harvey, aka Geek Filters, in the live audience, he's saying that's very LDS. And yes, yes, they do that on lower decks. They they mention episode titles occasionally. They've uh, they've said that like some some of these famous Star Trek missions are recorded with things like you know the Enterprise incident is actually like something that people people know about and talk about, or the Carbomite maneuver. I don't know if yesterday's Enterprise yeah. could work that way because no one should even know that that happened. I guess like yeah. Q might have observed it, and that's just what he calls that that story. But... Yeah. <laughs> so, and there's what is Picard doing? Pe- what crime is being is, is needs to be repaid? Is yeah. it a, is is Picard going to do penance for humanity, or is, is... is Jesus? He's going he's going to die for our yeah, sins. Yeah. What it, a what is the crime? And is it something Picard did, or is it something somebody else did? And uh, if it's something else, is Picard the one who needs to forgive? Because he says there, there, there might be even be forgiveness. So who's going to be doing the forgiving? Is, uh, is, is you know, who did the crime and who's going to be doing the forgiving? And who's and Picard is apparently going to do the penance. And it's not all these murderous sociopath dictator stuff that, that Picard's been doing. It's quite clear from the conversation. It's some other crime or wrong or sin or whatever that is going to be the penance. Not just genocide stuff that that's just some icing on the cake <laughs> well, for Q. But whatever it is it never occurred to me that it might be something that would like character assassinate picard so i didn't really have like that fear that, that dave mentioned i i i just assumed that it was it's something that would that would work and make sense when it's all said and done but i, I guess we'll find out yeah something that popped into my head given what happened in episode one is do we know how picard's dad died <laughs> he kills his dad <laughs> i don't i don't think that's i don't know i think that'd be I weird did. but uh, if his dad abused his mother and he did it in a fit of protective rage or whatever, um, I do think it could be something like that. But I don't think that would – I think it would have to be something where he made a decision that's more less protective and more judgmental. Whatever it is, I think it's going to probably have to be some legitimately bad call he made when he was young. And I think Q will say, oh, you hold yourself up as the best of the human race or you, you secretly think that. And yet you had it within you to do this. How are you any better than anything? You know, I, I think Q is that's the judgment he's going to lay down. 
I feel like if you uh, were to kill somebody to protect somebody, that's not quite bad enough. Um, no, you, you think it needs a worse crime? Worse crime. I think it needs a worse crime. What is it? What, what would be killing your dad? Fraternicide? Uh, patricide. 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 Uh, patri- patricide's not enough. It needs to be more severe. Patrick Stewart's side. Uh, it's Patrick Stewart's side. But, yes. <laughs> by the way, I I did love the. What what made like a bad day even worse for Picard is when he thinks he's about to have some of his Earl Grey tea, but it was black coffee, and he's just like, "Oh, I really am, uh, you know, Dante overlooking the circle or something." <laughs> Somehow, that yeah, was a great uh, just just <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like he can't get like even like a, a moment of of peace in this in this uh, I, nightmare I world. Think that might be my favorite Earl Grey tea joke in all of Star Trek. Was that moment? <laughs> I'm such a party pooper. I didn't like the line. I uh, I thought it was like uh, if they're trying, if they want me to take serious their fascist universe. I, a lot of the you know we'll talk about it more as we can go along. But a lot of the humorous stuff. I thought I needed that arch camp of sort of of the mirror universe hmm. for that. If you're kind of trying to get me to to like really feel the weight of a like a really nasty xenophobic world, which is clearly what this is. Uh, a little bit more than the mirror universe, then Gerardi's kind of clowning and, uh, you know, uh, Gerardi and Rios having sort of a relationship bickering stuff. I don't know, just those that, that those lines all started to fall flat for me. <laughs> oh, I, I actually thought more this grim was, dark. This was uh, not grim dark enough for Dave. <laughs> I thought this was really well written. <laughs> Listen, they... if you're trying to get me to buy into grim dark, then I need it to, to, to weigh on me. I've seen 1984. I need it to, I need it to convey something. I, I, I liked it having some of that levity in there. I, I think it was, I think this is, was very well balanced and very well written. I, I was both these episodes. I was very, very impressed with the writing on Picard. And I, I think like, Oh yeah, I could tell that like they had to just sit on these scripts for a year when they couldn't shoot because the, uh, the they, they seemed to like really punched them up. But let's, let's talk about those other characters and get into the, getting the band back together with, we meet the, I did want to discuss about just evil Picard. We've got this evil that he has to face all these evil things that he's done, the skulls on the podium. This is a lot like what Shinzon could have grown up, grow up to be. So Picard's faced this demon before this. It's me, but I'm evil. He's 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 faced down that very demon. And I thought that was kind of interesting that we've gone back to that. And I do wonder if if there's going to be any acknowledgement that Picard has already faced the evil version of himself in, in the text well, at some it point. It seems like the difference here, uh, the, the key might be that Q thinks that there is something, or at least this was my read of it, that there is something in Picard as he is, not a variant of him, but as he is, that is effed up. And I kind of think that's a potent idea uh, that, you know, it doesn't have to be some mirror universe version of yourself to contain within it the germ of evil or uh, of, of being horrible. Anyway, that's all I got. All right. Well, let's let's move on then, because we still have a lot of this episode to talk about. Uh, but the Seven of Nine waking up as the president, Rios waking up in a battle, uh, Eleanor waking up, and I guess as a as a rebel fighting against the uh, the, the fascism. Um, I, I like I like Seven's reaction. By the way, I was gone last week. I didn't get a chance to say it, but Seven is much more like Voyager Seven in Picard season two. It's like she's not you know running around drunk murdering people like she was in season one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I accepted. It. I was like, okay, like her son died, her son got killed. She, she she's unhinged. I get that. I accept it. But I I did like her being like more centered and more like what I think of as like the the Seven of of Voyager. You know, here when she wakes up in the the dream, she's trying to do uh the math equation and smell the candle, like all very like scientific and stuff, trying to prove she's not in a dream. Also like that. She she woke up asking for for Raffi. That was, that was a cool little insight into into her heart into her head. When you know without without any witness or anything, she's just, she thinks she's there by herself. And and the, what she does is she asks for Raffi or hopes Raffi's the person coming through yep. the door or whatever. 
I somehow missed that. That's that's yeah. uh, that's interesting. I, I, I don't know. I missed it. I, I too had the same thought, but I thought my thought was, oh, when she tries to be evil president, I thought when she was pretending to be this arrogant president, mm. it reminded me a bit of Arrogant Seven from Early Voyager. No, but um, I, I thought like last week when she was you know walking around with Picard in the corridor and the Stargazer talking about how like yeah the ship has Borg technology and it might have like reignited some fear of the Borg and yeah you know, I, I deal with the stigma and just like her like delivery of those lines. But then here like when she's like working in collaboration with with the other characters and stuff like i that's when i i think like the the older seven the classic seven is kind of emerging and someone pointed out that's euler's identity is the math equation she writes on the mirror with lipstick like i, I don't know what that is but it's supposed to be like the most beautiful math equation of all time or something yeah it, it takes like all these major constants and puts them all into one equation uh huh. zero one uh the um the the logarithm uh uh number and um and and puts it all into a very simple equation and like there's so much about if you know what that equation means it's kind of like so much of all of mathematics is packed into this tiny very simple thing um in a and so yeah it is beautiful in a in a kind of or or cool or 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 stylish i don't know what you want (laughs) something like her husband by the way uh the Magistrate, I think they call him the Magistrate, is played by John John Briones. He is Soji actor Issa Briones' father in real life. Huh. Uh, now that you say it, I can see the resemblance. I, are we supposed to assume that everyone in the Stargazer task force has popped into this alternate timeline with their memories from the original timeline? I think just these, the people what... that it showed us here. Because there would have been thousands of people on all those ships. So, I mean... I, I, but we we don't necessarily rule that out. But uh, I guess are we supposed to assume that Q protected them? Then it wasn't yeah, just the was, fact I think for that dra- they were near this the was temple. Q, Q's they're... doing. Q handpicked these people. Yeah, I think for dramatic trope purposes, we can assume that yeah, it's it's essentially the people we know and care about. Yeah, if if you're a regular in the in the opening titles of sequence of the show, then you got to keep your memories. So, so we can assume that Picard did at least watch season one of Picard. Or Q. Or Q, Q watched season John one Delancey of said that on he... the ready room. He said, uh, you know, before I did this, I went and watched the entire first season of Star Trek Picard. So, Because um. he had to know, all right, uh, I could I could put Riker and Worf and Troy and give him all of those friends. But I'm going to pick these new friends from this most recent set of adventures instead. Um, which well, is if a, he wants to choice. torment Picard as he stands with all his life experiences, Picard is an old man. And uh, his he's the. These are the friends of the old man Picard, so you know whatever whatever awfulness or punishment Q hopes to inflict uh, would it would probably be most vital to him by taking the people who are vital to him presently. I, I would think if it's something dark in his past, putting Beverly there that he has to go and look like a monster in front of Beverly would be the biggest knife twist you could do. But, I guess we got I got on that. I got to see more of just how things play out. I do wonder if Seven, if we're going to get a point where Seven t- touches on. It's weird not having my augmented processing brain and my augmented Borg vision that that's all taken away from me now. I I, I can't think as fast and I can't mm. uh, and I can't see things that I used to see and I'm not yeah. as strong as I used to be. Um, is is that going to come up that she she misses? Yeah, the I, I was wondering if has it ever been confirmed on screen that she needs like Borg implants in her brain for her intelligence or is that just like her organic parts of her brain or what stores her? her intelligence um i'm not i'm not sure if they ever stated that that was a borg technology thing but yeah that 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 would be something you would notice be like hey i'm i'm dumber than i i used to be so (laughs) you think that would speaking of her 
implants and stuff. Is uh, some timey wimey kind of stuff happen before this is all done? And she returns, and she is the Borg queen, that the faceless Borg queen of the 25th century, trying to get the Borg into Starfleet. Maybe I mean that was a, a kind of a, a temporal rift thing. You know, they said it was a. They, they said it was a, a. They used the word temporal when they were dealing with that uh, anomaly. Yeah. So I, I think that's going to make dating with Raffi even harder. <laughs> <laughs> It depends. Maybe she's into tentacles. So. Uh. Uh, I also liked when Rios was in the battle fighting Vulcans that the comrade of his, uh, the the woman on one of the other ships, she was saying, it's like you always say the, the Vulcans, <laughs> if we don't stop these green bloods, they'll meld your mind and scramble your balls until you're begging to die. I don't know why that made me laugh, but... Uh... <laughs> It's kind of amusingly crass. Yeah. It also feels like the kind of thing that you might ask for in like a brothel uh, <laughs> of the 25th century. But, but um, a brothel. The, the writing, <laughs> yeah. the writing was. I mean, don't kink shame. Some people might be into that, but I thought, I thought the writing was really good when Seven calls Rios and she's like, uh, "Colonel Rios, if there's anything weird going on, you're on a secure line, so you can tell me." It, like, to, and then he was like, "Oh my God, Seven, is that you?" And I thought that was, I thought that was kind of clever, and I thought that was, uh, it made the characters smart. I thought the that idea really work yeah i liked how seeing everyone respond to oh i'm in an alternate timeline i better play along because yeah. it looks dangerous to be honest elnor and elnor has seeing... always been like the more naive character so uh, uh, he was he was the one who seemed like he might not have been able to survive on his it? own but um i mean they, they had raffi there to help him he got himself arrested pretty damn quick yeah, so. <laughs> yeah but he also was he got well, the worst he landed in, the, in immediate danger yeah, yeah. like like seven wakes up she's president picard is like this famous general uh and then eleanor he's like oh yeah you're an alien on a planet that's racist against aliens and you're you're about and you're to be about shot 10 seconds from being discovered yeah. does it snow in yeah. okinawa by the way or is it supposed to be like the weather is so terrible it's like blade runner like when it's rainy in la i think it LA. snows in okinawa okay. i assumed it was ash from the buildings oh okay that makes more sense could be I did think it was weird that they blew up apparently a whole bunch of buildings and the rest of the planet seems to have almost no comment whatsoever. Like, do high-rise towers and tens of thousands of people get blown up on Earth every day now and that's just business? The <laughs> Earth Confederation wouldn't want that getting out there that these rebels were able to blow up their planets. They would have they covered that up. Yeah, but even when talking to the president, it's just kind of this little thing that's vaguely... There's some uprisings in Okinawa. They're blo they just killed 10,000 people <laughs> or, or more, maybe 50,000 people. <laughs> that's that's just... As president, you would think you would be like, send the army or, you know, the thing. Well, you know, they, he is like probably president of the like if they're as powerful as they are and they've conquered andor and all the rest then their their, their scope level of scope is like probably talks about millions of deaths so that might actually just be a drop in the bucket well, I, I guess if somebody blew i know up it's a on earth in, though yeah if somebody blew up a building in washington dc you think the president would be there would be a little bit of an expectation from the president to you know acknowledge that that, that major terrorism is happening right there in the capital <laughs> or the rebels are just that good yeah well that that would kind of be that's the same the flip side is your security is bad so your rebels are now effective i love the the new confederation logo that it's kind of the ufp logo but only one star because only one star matters <laughs> yeah uh aaron also pointed <laughs> that out uh that he said that he he actually likes it more than the the ufp logo and says it has panache and uh, Aaron, by the way, I, I think is actually going to visit the Ten Forward pop-up in L.A. that they've set up, where they actually have a recreation of Guinan's Bar that people are people are going to and hanging out in. And uh, we're going to so cool. We're going to I think try to have him on the show next week to talk about that and talk about what Dave did you hate Spot seventy three the the cartoon cat Yeah, <laughs> uh, ish. I thought Pat Oswalt did a good job. I thought it, uh, he he was kind of fun, 
But but yeah, I was already kind of like, oh, they're going to be doing kind of tongue-in-cheek stuff in the middle of this while trying to convince me that it's so bad that they it's something that needs to be fixed. Um, and I, I, I just felt like that kind of humor didn't work in it. Yeah, I like that the, even this uh, this weird alternate world Gerardi would have, like, the, she she would manufacture a little artificial friend like this. Like, she still has, like, the... I wish it was in the regular universe. Like, like I, I, I like the idea. Everything about it, I, I think, works, Maybe including Pat Oswalt's thing. I just didn't like it in this episode. A, copy and taken it with a lot of people her. like Patton Oswalt. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not really a fan of his. I, I, I'd never find his material that good, but uh, he seems like a nice dude in real life, a cool dude. He's friends with Boots Riley, who I'm a big, huge fan of. So, nice. Um, but I, I love Allison Pill so much, and they are really utilizing her in season two. I, I talked about how I think the characters are smart and stuff here, and Dridey is like a little like she's out of her element. She's she's you know kind of caught off guard when Seven comes they in. They should have been they should have been busted in that no, scene no, no, where no, she tries no, to no, cover because she pays this off later when she totally like comes through in the clutch and improvs a whole cover story. In, in the heat of the moment. Yeah, but here, like, because I, I thought she was the one who, like, she probably wouldn't be this good at this uh, this type of stuff. And But she's smart enough that she figures it out and adapts to it. And then by the end of the episode, she's able to, to have a major contribution to the team. Yeah, she's she just has to tell herself, okay, it's just like when I uh, <laughs> when I pretended that I didn't kill Maddox. I just have to do that. Just think like I'm, you know. <laughs> when Seven is talking about like, uh, uh, yo, last time I saw you, we were stargazing. She's like, oh yeah, we were on the stargazer. <laughs> just like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it took her a while to catch up. It took her a while to catch up. There, yeah, there, there there had to be a few people in this new gang who have not gotten into weird timey wimey adventures. Broadly, I um, uh, you know, th- it's kind of a trope that when you find yourself in an alternate universe where you gotta. You got to quick catch up and like play done or like that integrate rather. Uh, you know, we've seen that since the original Mirror Universe, at least, yeah. if, if not something before. And, and I think that's cool. And I think, you know, like when you obviously you have to kind of stumble a little bit to get there because you don't know the rules of the world you're playing with. Uh, I think I liked it. I like it better when it's as few people having to do that as possible. Uh, if or they kind of do it off screen, like I think most you generally didn't see what how they how that worked for the rest of the crew until Kirk got with them in the original Mirror Universe, Mirror Mirror. Well, I I almost feel like Kirk figures it out too fast in Mirror Mirror. So that's why I like to retcon now that he had heard about this rumored Mirror Universe of, of, with the discovery and Georgia and all that stuff. Right. I know they come back from the credits and he's like, I seem to be in a strange Mirror Universe, kind of very setting out the idea for the audience. But anyway, um, seeing six people or so uh, kind of stumble through it. I, I didn't like as much though because I was like I feel like a few of them would have been busted. It just it just it stretched the trope a bit for me. Elnor was busted. Uh, yeah, well, he was set up to be busted. He didn't have to even try. <laughs> and, try it. That and was not Picard, even an option Picard for him. was in like he was bust proof well, because of Q. I was like, what were they like actually blowing up Vulcan? No, that was a it was a building that. What are, what are, you, are you talking about with Rios? Uh, with Rios, they yeah. were fighting Vulcan ships, but we'll, okay, we'll talk I wasn't about quite the sure if they were if they were about to blow up the planet or something like that. But I was like, he just kind of cut and ran right there uh, uh, from the battle or the, the some initiative he was commanding. I was like, I would have think somebody might have called somebody in command and said, "Hey, we've got an A wall ship D- captain Dave, here." Dave, he had. Orders from the fucking president. Yeah, yeah. They, he would just say, the president called me. And when they called the presidential office, the, the office would confirm, uh, yes, yes, those, we can confirm that order. So. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Anyway, uh, but but uh, it's still, it's like, 
the dramatic beats of watching six characters kind of squirm out of it. It, it was again, it just wasn't satisfying to me to to see it. I, I needed it to. I, I would rather it kind of. I don't know. It just didn't feel real that they, they that it's, that they wouldn't have been more quickly busted. The the thing that didn't feel real to me was that the Kaplan F seventeen freighter was being used as an attack craft uh, to attack Vulcan. The the freighter the La Serena, or La Serena is a freighter. Yeah, they're, they're, they're using, using it as, a, it as, as an attack shot. craft. And I was like, how, how, what, how does that make sense? Because we have to have universe? the same actors on the same sets. <laughs> so alternate universes stretch, yeah. have to work. Yeah. There's the same ships and the same people. I, I guess we're, it might have felt a little forced to me as, as Raffi takes Eleanor to the presidential palace also, and they just happen to like all meet at the same time. But you, you kind of need that expediency. I like the fast-paced nature of the season, again, especially when compared to Discovery Season 4. So I, I'm, I was pretty forgiving on that stuff. And then I like the... Yeah. The moment of Raffi saying, uh, oh, is that you in there, JL? And and uh, he, he says something like, oh, I'm not even sure anymore or something like that. But but then Eleanor being the young, naive, more innocent one, he's like, oh, well, I'm sure I can tell it's you. And he's kind of happy to see his, his old uh, father figure Picard back. I liked uh, I liked Elnor in this uh, in general. I liked some of his little comments, him mentioning. I thought it was a nice quick catch up where he mentions Q and Elnor's like, I read about him in your biography. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I, I thought that, like little bits like that were good. were good catch up. I actually kind of thought that for people who don't know who Q is, almost Picard needed a little bit more of an explanation. Although I know that we, the audience, of course, know who Q is. Like, he needed to say, like, they're godlike entities that uh, this particular one likes to stand in judge of humanity, and I've I've jousted with him before, and I've defeated him, but he's dangerous. And Like, I, I kind of wish there was just a little bit more on that. Yeah, uh, I guess we should assume that the average person has heard of Q, because the, those holograms in season one of Picard one of the Rios holograms is like oh look that's Picard he's uh you know the the, the captain of two enterprises and all this stuff and one of the things he lists off is uh, the official liaison to the Q continuum or something like that so uh maybe so have they made a statement I, I thought it would make sense when I saw the episode and I'm still confused why they didn't hire the original board queen actress to play the board well, isn't she like again? 70 years old like she probably wouldn't want to do all the prosthetics and okay, stuff. Okay, you know, I mean, the answer could just be the actress didn't want to put up with the makeup, and that would be an answer. Uh, I just was wondering if there were... Uh, or the one from uh, Voyager as Susanna well. Susanna Thompson, it, who was also on uh, Deep Space yeah. Nine as uh, the ex-wife yeah. of Jadzia Dex. I mean, it, it, just because... It's an alternate universe where you have alternate versions of everyone. You don't even have to explain how come she died in first contact, but is alive here because it's an alternate timeline. And that well, they never explain queen, that anyways. The queen always well, seems I know, to be coming but, back. But this this one time there would be no need. There really wouldn't be a need for it, and you would have that extra frisson of Picard knows this particular yeah. face. So I thought it was unusual. I, I didn't think it was unusual, uh, especially since the, the queen has already been recast before, and I, I think we should probably assume there might be some fluidity with the queen, and the Borg in general should always be adapting. They should always, like, look a little different. Uh, so even without the alt-timeline stuff, I um, she had, like, a the, like that weird, creepy presence. I think it was, like, a little bit more tame than... Uh, I'm talking about Annie Wershing's per- performance is a little bit more tame than uh, uh, Krieg's performance in, in First Contact, and Endgame on Voyager because she had like this weird kind of a very scary kind of like sexuality to her. But might have been they might have just thought that was like too weird to 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 add into their their show here. But um yeah she she is also like kind of like the the crazy Borg queen. Her mind is broken from time. When they're putting together their their plan, their their Borg heist, their Borg napping of, of the queen, and they're gonna try to go back in time like Kirk's Enterprise. But I, I said there was like another 
issue I had with this other than kind of being too similar to the mirror universe. And that was, I just, I didn't like the line like, um, oh yeah, go to Los Angeles in 2024. There is a watcher there waiting for you. I, was just, I don't know. That just didn't feel very, I didn't feel very Star Trek to me. That feels like a, a riddle from Gandalf. Yeah, it's like kind of comic shit. booky or something. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, without knowing what this watcher is, I, I have trouble judging it, but yeah. it, the Borg don't seem like the type to specific to, to really use metaphor and riddles a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, just, it just it felt a little out of place with everything else. Not a big deal. I get like they need to set that up for whatever is going to happen in the plot, but just just kind of stood out as a weird choice. I, I agree. think it was odd that the Borg Queen knows about Gerardi's psychological issues in alternate in, in other timelines. Like, how did the, that means the Borg Queen encountered Jurati in other timelines, not just this one. So how did that happen? When did that happen? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know if, if it means that for sure. Simultaneously with all timelines existing at the same time. I, I don't know if it means that for sure, but she did seem to sense like, oh, yeah, like like there's something broken in your mind, too, isn't there? But I like their chemistry. I like them talking to each other. Like that one point where Jurati just kind of ignoring her, like uh, whatever you say, sister, or something like that. And but there's a couple of yeah, times she gets like, like those, too. those creepy looks from the board queen. There's something going on between the queen and, and, and Gerardi, and that'll be kind of expanded on in, in the next episode, I think. Do we think the Watcher could turn out to be Guinan? No, I don't think that we're going to see Guinan in, in the 21st century because they put in like that explanation of why she looks different, which Brian, you mentioned like you think they didn't even need that. Uh, but, well, they did de-age Q for his scene. They could do that with Guy. Yeah, I don't think they're going to de-age her, though. Um, I just, I don't, I don't think that's going to be her. I don't think we're going to see her. I think it's going to be something else or someone else. Yeah, I think Father is right Gary on seven. that. I, now that I would you love for it to be Gary issue. Seven. And uh, what's his name? Uh, Robocop. He was Admiral Marcus. Um, Peter, Peter Weller. Weller. Peter Weller should play Gary Seven because he looks a lot like that actor. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> but Peter Weller's getting old these days. He is. He looks. He's showing it. I was slightly surprised when se- they when we learned that Seven of Nine is nowhere near as smart as Spock. Yeah. Um. Because I <laughs> kind of always put them on about the same. Me levels. too. You know, if I statted them, their their IQs would have been at least within a point of each other. That and felt like a that felt like a slightly contrived plot point. Uh. That that nobody could possibly match the legendary Spock except for the Borg Queen. Well, uh, nobody out of their go. out of their group that they had. But I I, I agree yeah. with Brian. I think that Seven could have done it. That's also why like I. I wonder like yeah is she did she lose some of her intelligence without her borg implants because that, that's that seems weird to me that would have been a perfect explanation for it and a perfect time to drop that in picard says yeah. you don't think you could manage it not without my implants with as, Boom, with as good as these writers <laughs> seem to be with like keeping an eye on that type of stuff i'm almost surprised they didn't say like picard say like seven you can do this can't you and, and she's like uh like i it would take me too long to calculate that now i'm 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 my my mind's not working as fast without my whatever implant anymore or something like that i think we know the answer to this but it still feels like it needs to be asked is the galaxy a better place without the borg we are going we are trading up by going back in time and changing things right i i mean just we should at least ask that question. The, the Borg have been wiped out in this galaxy. Uh, probably, it sounds like maybe the Dominion is no I, longer I'm a threat. I'm going to say we need to move on and not have a conversation about is is the galaxy better with the Confederation timeline instead of the, the UFP timeline? The Borg dominating the... the Robo-zombies you know, or... I mean, I, I, the Confederation racist. seems to be uh, like pretty much as bad as the Borg. Yeah. So. yeah, I kind of feel like that is the answer, but I kind of feel like it's weird that they don't stop and ask that question, at least briefly. I, um, I think it's weird to stop and ask it now, but um, well, let's talk <laughs> okay. about the, the eradication Quick, stuff. we need to bring the Borg back into power. <laughs> they, Nobody they actually establish that the, the Borg might be in a, kind of a weekend state after what happens at the end yeah. of Voyager, so it, 
there, there's a line about that in last week's episode. They they do say. Well, yeah, that, they made they made it very clear in last week's episode yeah, that the Borg were in a weakened so, place. Okay, I think, yeah, I forgot. I about think that's that, the uh, so. the 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 ideal situation. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna vote against uh, fascist Earth uh, conquering and enslaving and eradicating aliens. But I don't know. Let us know in the comments. Do you do you prefer this timeline or do you prefer the uh, the one we saw last week? I'm just wondering if I lived in the Delta Quadrant, what my answer to that question might be. But I I, I don't know what the Delta Quadrant looks like in this timeline. What do y'all think of a uh, Mazzolini Picard? And they I don't know if y'all caught this, but they sh- they shot this ceremony, eradication day ceremony, on the same location as last week where they shot the Starfleet Academy ceremony. They're both at the the Disney concert hall. But it's decorated very differently. Did not know. Yeah. But I, I kind of liked that, how they mirrored each other. And I, I had kind of pieced that together from the trailers months ago. But I, I like seeing it in, in execution here. And, and uh, Picard trying to, like, hype up the crowd. and But then he, he has to stall because he, he knows he can't shoot this queen. He he needs her to, to go back in time. I felt he was kind of dropping the bag there because he's standing there with the gun and he realizes he just needs another couple of minutes he just has to turn to the crowd and make a picard speech yeah. about evil is good and i actually and... think that would have been kind of a cool thing to do is to have him saying something that's clearly so at odds <laughs> with who he is that it's like it's almost physically painting him where you can see like that cheek quavering Look, we saw that beads when, of sweat when he saw the his his uh propaganda video and he's like cringing yeah. at it like yeah so yeah. we would know how how tortured he is but um, Dave, I just want to point out, by the way, I heard you say last week that uh, you, you were uh, unimpressed with Picard's um, speech he gave at the Academy, which mm-hmm. I, I just have to add to that, like, uh, every graduation ceremony I've ever gone to for any school had terrible speeches, so I found that realistic. But also, like, I love that he... <laughs> He's he, Picard. He I, gets to be the know, exception. Dave, I love that he chose to quote his mom uh, as someone who yeah. I really appreciates, like, mother-son stories and someone who's, like, very close to, to their mom. And then I love that... The thing that his mom told him as a kid when he had that turbulent childhood was to look at the stars and, and see what's out there. And you can retcon that back into the end of Encounter at Farpoint when they're they're on the bridge of the Enterprise. It's the end of their first episode. And there's the, the close up on Picard's face. and He says, let's see what's out there. And he goes off to have this mm-hmm. seven year adventure on the Enterprise. And he's thinking of his mom in that moment. And that's what that's what made me I, cry. I like last that week. interpretation. I like the interpretation. Yeah, so they they have they have to like split the party. Elnor and and Raffi go get the shield down, while also Gerardi has to boost their transporter signals. So they have to get the defense down, but also get the signals up to to get up to La Serena. And that, that's where we get the the I guess the conversation between um Rios and and Gerardi, which I think they just kind of needed to uh, put something in there just to remind us they used to be an item. Um, but I, I agree, it might be a tension breaker. Their their bickering kind of seemed a little I don't know trashy. I was like <laughs> I, I thought that they were. At least, uh, in some ways, both more mature than some of the the barbs they were throwing at each other. I, I preferred the Gerardi, I mean, not Gerardi, the Raffi and Seven stuff. When uh, with, when Raffi hears Seven's the president, she's like, oh, she'll wear that gracefully. Or then when she's like, oh, you have all these relationship problems, but somehow in this timeline you were able to make a marriage work. <laughs> like, so, like, that's something someone actually would le- leech onto and point out, I think, even even under these circumstances. That did feel like uh, we've been dating for over a year kind of <laughs> comment. But... <laughs> I, I was wondering if Elnor would uh, continue to, uh, I guess, murder people now that he's he's in Starfleet. But uh, yeah, he's, he gets pretty violent with these uh, the uh, what are they called? Star Corps uh, on the ready room. They said they, these uh, the military here that's Star Corps. But he, uh, he definitely uh, was more throat cutting than you get from the average Starfleet officer. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I, I like that. I was like, go, man. I mean, these people are so <laughs> Nazi ish that I'm, I'm OK with yep. killing them. And we're also going to erase this timeline anyways as part of the plan. So it kind of doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. I think that, you know, like this, you know, uh, 
hate to sort of do the, oh, well, if it was me, I would have done this. But I would have just broadly, I think, I wish this episode had leaned harder into actually being a darker episode. And, uh, and, and so I actually, yeah, really liked Elnor cut loose on him. I think that that was uh, fully legit. And uh, it was a very cool scene. Picard, too. And... Picard starts shooting dudes, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and again, I don't know. I was like, give a speech, man. You don't need to start shooting people. Just give a damn speech. You're Picard. You know how to do this. You've got this. <laughs> he had already started losing the audience. I guess they were booing. He didn't think he could get them back. Oh, yeah. Picard could get them back. He had to bust out the back. flute and do like a flute solo or something. <laughs> <laughs> Cut to the uh, jazz flute scene from Anchorman. But uh, Gerardi comes through again. She gets them beamed up. She installs the, the board queen on La Serena. And I like Rios being kind of like out of the loop. Like, what? Like, now you're going to hook up a board to my ship? Like, no, no. <laughs> You know, he's also the guy last week who was like, there's no way I'm letting Borg beam onto the Stargazer. So, um, you know, he wisely <laughs> fears the Borg. Uh, but I, I wasn't expecting this this cliffhanger here at the end. Both these episodes kind of ended on a cliffhanger, but here with uh, Husband coming on board La Serena and shooting Elnor. And I, I don't, I think Elnor might die. Of course, we can get him back through time travel. But yeah, it's uh, it looks like a, a fatal sheet. Oh, well, I guess a, a Romulan heart is down where your liver is because they're like Vulcans. That's true. Yeah. And I, th I think you don't show someone, if you, if you want someone to die, usually it's, immediately ish uh unless you want them to die dramatically a little bit later uh i don't think they're gonna kill them i all. think they will because i don't i mean this is me like reading into something from the trailers but none of the time travel stuff on earth in the 2020s i don't think we see eleanor in any of that so i think i think he actually is gonna die but we can get him back later or is he just gonna be recovering in some place and not out doing the physical stuff well hmm. he's also the obvious choice to leave on the ship because he's an alien yeah but part so, of the fun you know, of time travel is when you have to hide your pointed ears like spock and yeah. tuvok had to do yeah Actually, in the in the it'd be kind of like now you could actually say, oh yeah, he's into extreme body modification. <laughs> I am very afraid that Fathery is correct. I love Elnor. I was very much looking forward to seeing more for him in this season, and I have this horrible feel fear that he's going to get a couple of lines and drop dead at the beginning of next week's episode, and that he's going to stay dead until the timeline gets fixed at the end of the That's season. That's totally what I'm expecting. Gonna, and I am going to be very pissed off. <laughs> I bet I bet that won't happen. Okay, so Dave thinks it won't happen. I think it will. I think Elnor is going to be injured or something like that, and will get to pop up once or twice for some cool Deus Ex Machina ass-kicking when they're in a little bit over their head in the past, um, and then play a bigger role in, like, maybe the second half of the season. Uh, yeah, I, I think that, uh, I think, and I think there's definitely no way he dies, dies. Uh, even if they, like, he does die and they have to resurrect him later, there's just no chance they're going to kill yeah. him off. Yeah, he'll, he'll be, he'll be I would back. also be sad if they did. I like, I like Elnor. Yeah, well, I, I, I think they'll bring him back at the end of the season, I, when the timeline yeah. resets. Yeah. I just don't know, I just don't want to go the whole rest of the season without him. I mean, I don't, I don't think I do either, but that's totally what I expect. Uh, Cake is eternal in our live audience to say, no, we need Elnor in all timelines. <laughs> I would also like you. to, uh. To call out uh, the Boronite maneuver who posts, bring back Hugh, too. <laughs> I think that ship has sailed, but I would be very on board it. it, it I did feel it was slightly odd that we didn't, aside from General Sisko, we didn't get a any glimpse of any other legacy character in yeah. this alternate timeline that they could have thrown I think they wanted to fun. keep it like boom, boom, but boom. But I do think maybe instead of having this magistrate, nothing against John John Briones, I think uh, he was perfectly hateable as the, as, as the <laughs> villain here. Um, yeah. But I think it might have been a great opportunity to bring in some legacy Star Trek character and they actually get to play the villain, the true villain. They're not undercover. And it would just help us... Uh, get a better understanding of, of this evil universe if we saw, um, I, I don't know, Janeway or Riker or whoever just uh, be, be the, the, the real baddie who they have to try to yeah. overcome. No, that, I, I agree. They didn't do that, so yeah. it is what it is. I did think it was the the first husband, the magistrate, he doesn't seem at all surprised by any of this. <laughs> he beams onto the bridge and he's not like, 
what the fuck are you doing? Or anything. He's he, he skips entirely from the, we are going to get to the bottom of what you have done to my wife. He skips that phase entirely and goes straight to gloating about executions like he already knows why all of this happens. He's just busy moving on to the punishment phase of it. And I'm like, I would think he would have some serious questions about what the hell's going on here. <laughs> so. I don't know if, if you have any final thoughts on on this episode uh one thing i guess i was gonna add is the the idea of like taking like your defeated enemy and like killing them in in the public uh like that that was a roman thing right like the romans they would capture uh you know, like the the head of state of an enemy nation and then you know years later when they needed like a, a big party on like their holiday they needed like a big spectacle to put on and they'd like bring them out in the coliseum and execute them in front of all the all the masses or something so it's kind of like an old ancient tradition. Yep, it's good to know that cruelty has always been around at that level, especially uh, cruelty for as political theater. Uh, it's something that our human species is, is capable of. It's something that we've done before. Oh, yeah. And yeah, absolutely. Possibly... Uh, Q definitely has uh, some pretty good points yeah. in his the, overall arsenal. The, the barbarism, <laughs> the potential barbarism of humanity. Yeah. Um, anything else on this one? Uh, I don't think so. I am hopeful that next episode we will learn all the secrets about Vulcan ball scrambling. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say this because I didn't like the episode. Uh, I'm glad it moved at the quick clip. It did. And we can get to the time travel stuff and I can put it behind me. Yeah. Um, well, Dave, I didn't have as big of an issue with the alternate timeline as you did, but I, I do not want to spend a ton of time here, but I, I'm pretty confident we don't have to worry about that. I, I think by the time we hit the end credits next week, we'll be in the 2020s. I mean, we'll we'll always be in the 2020s for the for the next few years, I, but you know what I mean. I know what you're <laughs> okay. saying. Yeah. By the way, I see in the comments that uh, Arthur uh, uh, Limero uh, says the Watcher could be Wesley. Uh, I kind of like that idea, Wesley Traveler. Yeah, uh, power it could Wesley. be a legacy character uh, who's gone back or exists there or something. I think I think that would be satisfying. Um, I can see. You know, like, you know, it's such an open thing that, you know, there's there's many things that could be satisfying. But that's that's one that I think would be pretty uh, cool. Linda Marks in our live audience is also saying bring back Kai Wen. That's a very interesting opinion. I don't think I don't think a lot of people are going to feel that way, but uh, we, we don't discriminate. So thank you Repair for sharing the timeline. Bring back Kai Wen. I don't think you could bring Wen back without at least bringing uh, Kira and probably even Cisco back. Bless you, my child. Um, <laughs> Everybody inwardly cringes as father. He says that. Uh, but I think we should go ahead and move into the Gorn eggs because there are a lot with Star Trek Picard season two. They, they seem to think that they're live action lower decks when it comes to the Gorn eggs. So we'll try to get through these quickly. Uh, but before we go into Picard, we need to talk about my one disco Gorn egg, which I think is a pretty poor excuse for a Gorn egg. Being, Gorn eggs being our end jokes, continuity connections and Easter eggs that I found within the episode that I thought were worth mentioning but yeah, in the Species 10C episode of Discovery, we see Jet Reno eating black licorice. She ate black licorice in engineering back in season three of Disco in the episode Terra Firma Part 2, where she was eating it in front of Book. So of course he would think there's nothing unusual about her asking for all of this specific candy again and again. He knows that she likes a snack on that, so I don't know kind of made it seem like a little bit more acceptable why you would not be suspicious what's what is the engineer doing he also probably feels really guilty about locking her up so if there's anything he can do to try to feel like he's being nice to her he'll probably do it jump on that oh you want licorice i'll get you licorice that'll make me feel like less of a monster. black licorice also <laughs> came up on lower decks one time when a replicator broke and that was all it could make but um yeah other than that uh no other gorn eggs in that episode of disco we'll move on to picard where there are a ton first off let's talk about those episode titles when 
Picard asks Q, where's the crew of the Stargazer? Q replies, how yesterday's Enterprise of you? Uh, obviously a reference to the Next Generation episode, Yesterday's Enterprise, where we meet the Enterprise C and deal with the alternate timeline there. Uh, he also says when they go into Picard's trophy room, through a mirror darkly, and here the man who holds the glass is darker still. The, through a mirror darkly, that's actually from the Bible, but it was the name of the Mirror Universe episodes of Star Trek Enterprise, so other alternate universe episode there. And in that trophy room, there are a ton of Gorneggs. We see the Torchbearer suit from Discovery Season 1. Uh, we see phaser rifles from Star Trek First Contact. There's actually a lot of weapons on the wall. I, uh, there's uh, Romulan weapons, Zotvash weapons, Zotvash knives, the, the knife that Shinzon had that also showed up in Buffy that Faith uh, had in, in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, it was the same knife, but... Uh, there's Riemann disruptor pistols uh, from Insurrection. There's a Jim Hadar blade, Jim Hadar pistols. Yeah, there's some uh, there's some Bajoran weapons. There's the Star Trek V and Star Trek VI assault rifle. If you watch the Ready Room, you can also see uh, some of these props that you don't actually get a good look of in the episode. They uh, had the Star Trek 09 disruptor. Oh yeah, pistol. the I don't know if it's Romulan or like the Romulan stole it from the Klingons, but there's a uh, disruptor pistol that was used in Star Trek 09. But well, let's talk about the the skulls. We get some major cameos here. Picard seemed to have killed like all of the top dogs of all the different alien species because we have a Cardassian skull that belonged to Gold Dukat, one of the main baddies in, in Star Trek, uh, specifically the, the primary antagonist in Deep Space Nine. And there's also a Klingon skull that the ridges look a little different, but it's probably hard to tell. You know, the bone might look a little different from the actual head, but it belonged to Martok, the general we see in Deep Space Nine. And there's a Vulcan skull that belonged to director Sarek, who in this universe was killed in front of his son and wife. Uh, when, when Q said that, I immediately pictured, oh, he was killed in front of Cybok and Perrin. <laughs> no, everyone was thinking Spock and Amanda, I'm, I'm sure. Um, Though Amanda probably would have been dead by then. But <laughs> There's a Ferengi skull, and I don't know how many people picked up on this, but we see the Grand Nagus staff next to it. So I think that's actually Nagus Zek was killed by Picard, <laughs> which I kind of love that's that. certainly but... the most entertaining interpretation. Yeah, yes. Pic <laughs> th this evil Picard would not tolerate Ferengi shenanigans. They he would kill their Nagus on day one. That's, that's how first contact with the Ferengi went in this timeline. Um, there's a Borg skull, too. Uh, let's just assume this is Hugh. Why not? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, yeah, the, the skulls are cool. I like that. I also like that there's like a bullet hole in Ducat's skull. I don't know why I thought that was so funny, but it's like yeah, he just got shot right in the forehead. Oh, yeah, you're right. Right, right in the Cardassian spoon on their foreheads. Spoon, yes. um, <laughs> and I like that they mentioned that Ducat is the reason why this Picard ended up in a synthetic body. So even in this alternate timeline, he was still a force to be reckoned with. I like that. Um, he, he went down fighting, is it this... sounded like. Is this synthetic body also have all of its superpowers dialed down? Well, I, I think they needed that to explain why he doesn't have the eromotic syndrome in this timeline. No, so. no, I get that. I just, I, I can't, I wouldn't think that this Picard would be the sort who said, no, no, I only want the ability. No, but maybe the person, maybe the person who was developing this body for him was like, I sure as hell don't want this dude to have superpowers. I'm going to, I'm going to lie and tell him like, oh, I can't do that. It's not possible, but. Yeah. Um, oh, and your brain won't be able to handle super strength. I'm the, sorry. The saddest trophy in here is I think it's Worf's Baldrick is in the background. It's up in the window behind Picard's oh, yeah. desk. So I think this Picard also slew Worf, which makes me sad because <laughs> I want them to be buddies. I want, I want the Picard who's like, uh, in all honesty, you're actually the the bravest man I've ever known. <laughs> you know, I want that. You want the the fascist version of that. Like, you know, uh, for for a, a mongrel race, yeah. you were the bravest person you, I've ever you, known. You disgust me, you subhuman thing. Now die. You're right. Today is a good day to die. Now do it. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't want that. Would he not have a beard? 
because it's any every university already has. I think that only applies to Vulcans. Um, okay. <laughs> there's some Vulcan war gorneggs too. When Seven has, or I guess President Hansen, I should say, has that screen pulled up that has a lot of the war information. There's also a lot of images that are from Picard season one, of all things. Uh, but on the screen, we can see that there is a General Miles O'Brien fighting the Dominion Alliance. And there's also a Lieutenant Colonel Tasha Yar. So Yar always seems to do better in the alternate timelines. <laughs> she didn't get killed by Armas here either. Uh, but uh, so so good for her, I guess. And then there's, of course, the verbal mention of General Sisko. So Sisko is still a badass in this timeline. We also see that there is a bit of text on the screen saying that uh, there's a Metreon Cascade that the uh, Vulcans are using. The Metreon Cascade is a weapon of mass destruction they established in Voyager that was used on Neelix's people, the Talaxians. And they mention Mount Taharna or Tahana. Tarhanna, I think is how you say it, uh, on on Planet Vulcan. That was from the Enterprise episode Home, I think. One of the season four, I think it was in Home. Um, and those those Vulcan ships, those are like the Sarek ship we see in Discovery in the episode uh, Lethe in season one is the first time we see that. But yeah, so those are 23rd century ships that are fighting um, in the, the battle. Um, according to some sources, the La, uh, La Serena is also a 23rd century ship. But... Um, with the, the Borg Queen, uh, we, we have a reuse of this character that was first established in Star Trek First Contact, but she's played by someone who's been in Star Trek before with uh, Amy Wershing having appeared in the Enterprise episode Oasis, uh, which also had uh, Renee Abarjanois, Odo, uh, on, on the Enterprise episode uh, way back in season one of, of Enterprise. But yeah, this is her first time in Star Trek since then, and she calls... President Hansen, tertiary adjunct of Unimatrix 01, which was Seven's part of her designation on Voyager. Um, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but she's stored in like the M510 storage tank. I don't know if that's supposed to tie into the M5 computer from the original series or not. So we'll just put mm. that's a maybe intentional thing. Uh, but yeah, so uh, we have our, our Borg Queen and we also have Picard talking about the slingshot time warp. He says Kirk's Enterprise did it multiple times. Uh, so we know that they kind of did it in the naked time when they they break away from a planet with a weird cold warp antimatter matter formula and there's some time travel there but they they do definitely spin around the sun and tomorrow is yesterday and assignment earth and then again in the voyage home to time travel so you, you need a, a spock level intellect to pull that off well, it was kind of suggested in, in the voyage home where it's it's, it's very uncertain if spock's gonna be able to pull it off or not and, and he does but and then the last thing i have is the adam soong holographic statue that we see uh, on the alternate reality earth and we actually hear brent spiner's voice saying a a safe galaxy is a human galaxy so i don't know who adam soong is but one of the soongs and all the soongs are played by brent spiner he might be the modern day soong that we're going to meet in the 2020s so maybe that's what where the timeline split maybe it's something adam soong did or maybe this is some other soong i don't know but uh, that's a that's a gornegg for something we don't know what it's a gornegg for yet so <laughs> But yeah, that's everything I spotted. I just want to thank everyone in the audience who checked us out live and thank you everyone else who listens to us later. We appreciate it and we want to hear your thoughts on these episodes. So please feel free to comment, to hit me up on Twitter or hit up the Text Track Facebook page and share your opinions and come back next week. We will be live at 7 p.m. Central. And until then, as always, live long and prosper, y'all. Listen to the Text Trek podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at text-trek.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash text-trek. And follow Fathery on Twitter at txtrek. Please support us by liking our videos and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Thank you and take care.